Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. Uh, I am Joe Fremming from the Joe Down. With me, as always, is my good friend, Paul Muadib. Hello, everyone. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. Uh, world's on fire, but at least we're not, at least our lives aren't Laura Palmer's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this week, we are talking the movie Firewalk with me, and uh, we're going to also be bringing in elements. We both watched The Missing Pieces, which kind of gives a little more background into the the season finale of two. Mm-hmm. Just a little in- information on the Lodge entities, uh, which is mostly from The Missing Pieces, we learn. We'll get into it because it's awesome that how it explains more of the Philip Jeffries scene. Oh, yeah. Confused people for so long. And uh, how this kind of was the blueprint for the return. Now, Paul, is yes, it sir. future or is it past? It's both. This is a sequel and a prequel, which is, I mean, which I love. And again, I mean, okay, let's... <laughs> Let's talk about our initial. Yes, I was going to say journey let's talk with to... Firewalk with me because this. When did this? This came out in what? 94? Four, 94. Okay, so I'm. Oh, I'm sorry. Ninety two. Ninety two. This came out in ninety two. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was like not too long after. Season after two. season season two ended. Yes, it was because yeah. it, it premiered at the nineteen ninety two Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, where Quentin Tarantino famously said, "David Lynch crawled up his own asshole." Yes. Yes. Okay. The movie comes out. I didn't see it right away. Uh, I think at that time, I just life went on, and I, you know, I just I Twin Peaks was now goth TV. It wasn't in my world. Mm-hmm. And then when it came on home video, me and my buddy rented it. That's what I saw. I saw it in home video. Yes. I watched it, and I hated it. I um, hated it as well. You have to remember, 92, I'm what? We were, what, 11, 12? 12 at that point. And a few years later, I probably was like 14 when I actually got around to seeing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was about 14, 15, I think, when I first saw it. And I was expecting something different. Yeah, I was expecting Twin Peaks. I was expecting some of that quirk. I was expecting Agent Cooper. I was expecting uh, what, you know, what we had. And David Lynch did not give it to us. That was my first experience of a, a filmmaker saying screw fan service. Right. And from my point of view, I was expecting a resolution. Like I really thought, and for a long time, this was the end of Twin Peaks. And I was expecting, now we didn't have the missing pieces then. So all we got was the theatrical release. And what we got, I was like, what, why? This did nothing. No. And that's because we, uh, you know, we had expectations. And I think everybody who went in this movie was like expecting some sort of resolution and not what the movie is, which is basic. It's mostly the last days of Laura Palmer. What Lynch was interested in. And so I hated it when it came out. And then. God, it been like 15 years later, it comes out on DVD. I had just picked up season two, which had finally come out on DVD. 
uh, before the gold box, you know, I was like, you know, watching it and I was still on the fence with Firewalk with me, even when I rewatched it then. I liked it because it was more Twin Peaks. I was still just, I don't know, maybe I still had those expectations. Mm-hmm. And then, <clears throat> and the, but it grew on me and I liked it more. I liked it more as I watched it more and kind of understood what Lynch was doing. But it wasn't until I read Secret History before the return came. And uh, I had also uh, gotten the complete mystery, the complete mystery Blu-ray set, and the missing pieces fills in a lot of these things, which helps you understand a little bit more. And again, again, there's more le- has scenes of levity that you kind of wish was in it. But I mean, Lynch can't drop a four-hour movie on people; nobody's going to watch it. Well, I, you and I would, but <laughs> you and I would. <laughs> Yeah, Empire, yeah. So I, I liked it more after the missing pieces, and then it was what, what Frost did with the things that Lynch gave us in this and kind of gave us a little more background on Blue Rose. Yes. And more of the Owl Cave Ring significance. And then when I rewatched it, I loved it. Now I have a little more information to go on, which I did not have in 92 or 94 whenever I finally got around to seeing it. Or even in 2006 when I bought the DVD of it, I still didn't have this kind of background. This movie, I love Lynch for all he does, but like sometimes being overly cryptic with something like a Twin Peaks spinoff movie or a prequel movie, you need a little more information on what's going on. And that's where Frost, I think... this is where Lynch and Frost, when they work together, shines. Yes, there's 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 a couple of things here. Um, you you nailed it to me when the secret history made me appreciate this movie. Um, I mean, it was good over the years. I softened up to it as I understood what it was and took it into what you know. I was like, okay, this is what Lynch is going to be, and this is ultimately just what we're going to get. Then. Um, then the secret history, reading that, and then going back through everything before the return came in, it, it clicked so much. And I think you really, this was written, the movie was written by David Lynch and Robert Ingalls, who I am not a fan of a lot of his standalone season two episodes. Yeah. He was a lot of, the, he put a lot of the filler in. He, yeah, exactly. I feel like he did a lot of the filler. Because Lynch and Frost were not getting along at that point. Um, so Frost didn't come in to help with the, with the writing. And so he relied on, on Ingalls. And, you know, it, as you talk about with the missing pieces, um, this was originally a um, over five hours yeah. of footage was shot. And it had to be cut down to two, two hours and 14 minutes. And this is something you and I have talked about, um, I believe... Uh, we talked about it in, in the um, when we cast talked that. about cast that movie. This yeah. is what Lynch does. Lynch yeah, there's will... like a five hour or six hour cut of Eraserhead out there. There's mm-hmm. a five six hour cut of Dune out there. There's a five six hour cut of Blue Velvet. <laughs> He's famous for overshooting. Right, and so there's you know the missing pieces helped, but yes, Frost coming back in and writing and kind of filling in the gaps 
that weren't there with this, like, just makes this movie that much better. Like, I, I really think that the secret history is you need to read that before you see this movie. Yeah, it's because otherwise you're lost. You're like mm -hmm. the significance of the blue rose. If chest, even like if even if they included the scene where it's in the missing pieces where Cooper is talking to Sam Stanley <clears throat> after Chet Chet Desmond disappears, and Sam's like kind of needling him about what blue significance of blue rose, and Cooper like stops him short, just like uh, Chet did. Then you kind of, then you can kind of like, okay, this is something that's bigger within the FBI that it's on a need to know basis. At least yep. that scene. But again, this movie came in at like four and a half, five hours long. You got to trim some of it. Yes. So let's let's get into it. And well, before yes. I preface that, well, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the production because you and I have talked a little bit about this. Okay, yes. Uh, there's a reason why a lot of... Even the production of this movie left a sour taste in people's throat. But let's just say uh, Kyle MacLachlan was mad about season two. Mm -hmm. And he's been on record saying he was livid and he didn't really want any part of the movie when the movie came along. Yep. Uh, Cheryl and Fenn didn't want it. She refused to even return. Uh, there was... I guess she was written in the script and she was just like, nope, not interested. It's yep. a lot of spite against Lynch going in. Like, all everything was against David Lynch at this point. He's coming in to make a Twin Peaks movie. His star doesn't want to be in it. This, you know, the second most recognizable character of the show, she doesn't want to be in it. The co-creator at that point is like, I'm, I just can't work with David Lynch for a while. <laughs> I've had my fill. So everything was going against him at this point, to the point they had to rewrite the script for to put Chet Desmond in charge of the case of Teresa Banks instead of Agent Cooper. Mm -hmm. And then filming, Lynch did bring back a lot of the original cast, only for them to go to the premiere and find out all their scenes had been cut. <laughs> yes. Which yes. left another bad taste in their mouths. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot. So, so Lynch said he wanted to make the film um, because he couldn't leave the world of Twin Peaks. He was in love with Laura Palmer, the character, and he wanted to see her move and he wanted to do these things. Um, and, you know, the, according to Lynch, now, the film is about the loneliness, shame, guilt, confusion, devastation of the victim of incest. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more to it though, and that's a very whatever, uh, I think. Um, but yeah, so, um, the film wasn't gonna happen. Kyle McLaughlin said he didn't want to do it. A month later, he changed his mind and said, I'll do it, but in a, in a much smaller capacity. So that's where the creation of Chet Desmond came in. Um, he blamed the quality of the second season, same thing, you, you already nailed on it. Um, you know, um, Sherilyn Flynn said no. She was disappointed. However, she, in a 2014 interview, said, oh, no, it was my conflict with the mice and men that prevented me from doing it. Her um, huge role in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And um, Ben Horn, uh, played by uh, Richard uh, Bamer, uh, said that uh, I wasn't in the movie, although his character does appear in the script. So they were going to do it. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, there's there's a lot that happened with that. And David Bowie, ah, who I love in this movie, um, had to say about this, um, about his part. They crammed me in it. I did all my scenes in four or five days because I was on rehearsals for the 1991 Tin Machine Tour. So I was only there for four or five days. Um, all of Kyle MacLachlan's scene, the Agent Cooper scene, were also filmed in four or five days. So, yeah, I mean, the budget was only $10 million, and it was really, really rushed. So the fact they got David Lynch came out of this with five hours, a five-hour movie in the time frame that it was, is crazy to me. Uh, yeah. He was kind of like on fire, though, at this time. I mean, he'd just done <clears throat> Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago. Like, he is... The late 80s, early 90s was really kind of like peak Lynch, if you think about it. His output was just crazy. Oh, yes. He drops uh, Inland Empire and then just kind of vanishes until the return. Yeah, yeah. Like a 15-year absence of really making films. Yeah. So, all right. Now that we've got, now that we've prefaced some of like what, what went on here, Let's talk about the fucking movie because I oh, absolutely adore this movie. I do too. Like it's like we said, it's grown on us, and it's I I really even though a lot of it uh, feels like uh, torture porn uh-huh. or Laura uh-huh. Palmer, there are so many like really cool things in this movie. Again, with having more knowledge, it's a lot more enjoyable. But let's go to Lynch's most on the nose analogy in film ever, in which we open with a TV. <laughs> <laughs> literally getting smashed as Leland's killing Teresa Banks. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no hidden meaning on what that on what that was. That's that's there's no subtlety at all um, on that. In in my opinion, no, no. And then uh, we cut to uh, 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 our friend Gordon Cole. He's, yes. Uh, he needs Chet Desmond ASAP, and Chester Desmond is in my neck of the woods of Fargo, North Dakota, where he's arresting a bunch of high schoolers on a bus. <laughs> oh my god! This scene, this scene, I, I so it is my cover photo on Facebook too. <laughs> it, it is. It's so this okay. This is how I I I haven't watched Firewalk Me in a long time, but that particular scene has always stuck with me. And I couldn't remember what movie it was from. And when I when I watched it finally, when I you know I bought everything because I wanted to get the missing pieces, and I rewatched the movie. It's been a long time since I saw the movie, and that scene kicked in. I was like, "This is the movie." <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it looks like he's arresting prostitutes on the on on the school bus, and yeah. all the kids are screaming, and I love it. Yeah, I want to know what that case was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we don't we don't know what the case is, but I do love the the little the eye to attention of that Gordon Cole speaks so loudly. Just just Jet Desmond gets on the phone and he has to lower his antenna because Gordon Cole is yelling so loudly over the phone that he has to quiet it down. Yes, yeah, it's hilarious. Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he wants to meet at the private uh, airport in Portland. Uh, there's a case that comes up that needs Chester's attention, which we soon find out is a Blue Rose case. 
Yes. So let's okay. So let's talk about Lil. Love- <laughs> so first of all, I also want to say that I love that um, Keanu. Uh, not Keanu. Keanu no, Keever Sutherland. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Keever Sutherland is in this. Yes. And he plays sober in this too. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So he meets Stan- Sam Stanley. And he's referenced in the pilot. Cooper doesn't want to work with him. Yep. Bring in Albert. Bring in Albert. Yep. Yep. Bring in Albert. Don't bring in Sam. So we actually meet the guy that Cooper didn't want to work with. Um, And it's apparent why Cooper didn't want to work with him. Um, I love the contrast between Chester and Cooper and just how very different they are. Chester is more uh, by the book. Yep. uh, To the letter uh, where Cooper... uh, Goes on his flights of fancy where, you know, you're throwing rocks at a bottle and talking about Tibet. You don't see Chet as that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yep, they land at the small airport and Cole Gordon introduces them to Lil, who is his sister's... It's his mother's is... sister's girl. Yes, it's his mother's sister's girl. No, no, it's, it's, it wasn't his cousin, mother, sister's cousin, something like I thought there was a third one, but I could be wrong. It was his mother, sister's girl. I wrote it down. Let me see. She's my mother's sister's girl. Okay. Because okay. Chet's like, who's missing is the uncle. Yes. Yes. So she, go ahead. I'll let you, I'll let you describe Lil. I'll let you. So Lil is uh, somebody uh, I would love to see at a Comic-Con dressed as Lil because she looks like she just walked out of a Comic-Con. <laughs> uh, she's a bright red wig, bright red dress. Her face looks like she's been sucking on lemons all day. <laughs> yes. Uh, the best. She looks a lot like uh, the bird lady from Kids in the Hall. <laughs> I mean, if you need a visual representation of Lil, if you're listening to this and you never saw Firewalk with me, look up uh, Bird Lady from Kids in the Hall and put a fright red wig on that. Yes. 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 Um, but she's doing these weird little dances and she's kind of like moving around. And this is just, it's, it, again, it's confusing when you have no idea what this is or mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be like even when it's kind of because exp- the next scene chet's explaining why she's gyrating and looking like she's having a full body dry heave <laughs> it's like she's leaving clues which i think i feel like this was uh lynch telling the audience about the tv show like you just pick up the clues <laughs> right I mean, even these clues are so cryptic it's like i don't i don't know I felt like you were saying something about the show with that. I think he was too. I think he was. I I, I, I do think so. A couple of things there. So he does, I, I was right. He does um, uh, introduce me. This is my cousin, Lil. She's my mother's sister's girl. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of things that are going on here. Um, and they start running through all of it. Because she's, she's walking in place. She's doing this weird walk. She's clenching her fist. She's got a really ugly face on her. Um, she, looks like she, she basically looks like she's having a stroke. Yes. So the the sour face meant that they were going to have problems with local authorities, that they weren't going to be receptive to the FBI. Both the eyes blinking 
meant that there would be trouble from the higher-ups in the area. Um, one hand in her pocket meant that the local authorities were hiding something. Uh, the, the hand going in and out of the fist was that they were going to be belligerent and aggressive. Um, her walking in place meant there was going to be a lot of legwork. The mother's sister's girl, meaning that the word uncle was missing, um, means that the sheriff's uncle was in prison. And the dress was tailored um, with different color thread, which was a code for drugs being involved in the investigation. And then there was the blue rose. You can't uh, talk about the blue rose. <laughs> right, right, yep. He'll explain everything but the blue rose. And for years, we didn't know what this meant. Now, and I think what you're looking at this here, and you look at her face, and you look at the quirkiness, and you look at everything that's going on in the in the red rig. Yes, I think there definitely is that this was him kind of making fun of the quirkiness of the show. Yeah. And going, you know what, the quirk, I think this was his way of saying the quirkiness got in the way of what I was trying to tell in the in in the show. I really think that's what Lil represents. Yeah. Yeah, the meaning got lost in the quirk. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. And so now we uh, we got Chet and Sam heading to Twin Peaks' doppelganger, evil doppelganger, if you will, of Deer Meadow. <laughs> Which is literally like this. I love I love this idea that there's like a a good version of Twin Peaks and like a dark version of Twin Peaks mm-hmm. straight down to like, everybody's kind of the same. You go to the sheriff's station instead of like timid Andy, you got cocky asshole Andy uh, instead of helpful Lucy. You got you bitchy get, Lucy. Yeah. Bitchy Lucy. And then instead of helpful Harry, you got like Stonewall, whatever cable. <laughs> like, yeah. Cable. Was that his name? Cable. I think so. I, I think didn't it was Sheriff it. Cable. I think it was Sheriff Cable. Yeah. But, so there's, like, right away, they're already met with hostility. Oh, yes. Uh, which is, you know, it's not, uh, this is, a lot of FBI agents have issues with this when they go into local jurisdictions, so. But, you know, it's just, like, it's funny, because like, when you, and this is what Lynch is trying to show is like Cooper comes into Twin Peaks. Everybody wants to help. Everybody's down with it. This is the homecoming queen. Chet comes to Deer Meadow. Nobody gives a shit. She, uh, Teresa Banks was a drifter, had no a, family. Nobody cares. Nope. She was a drifter in a trailer park. Yeah. Uh, but Chet bullies his way into the, which again would not be Cooper's way of dealing with it. Uh, Chet just grabs the the deputy by the nose. Oh yeah, <laughs> in a very uh, painful looking way, like he's about to snap it off, and then he barges into the sheriff, and they just kind of it's just butting heads. Uh, the sheriff's like, "We close at five, and then Chet's like, "We'll we'll close up for you." Basically. Yep, we're in charge. Yeah. What I found was really interesting. Their morgue was a fucking shack behind the, the sheriff's station. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Sam does point out the whole the whole office of the sheriff's station was only worth about twenty seven thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, oh God, so great. So Sam does the autopsy of Teresa Banks. Uh, yes. There's a letter T under her the ring finger 
like mm-hmm. Walter. Uh, it's, you know, it's basically Leland, Bob, whatever, killed her. At this point, it's not a mystery. We all know who the killer is going into this movie. So it's just kind of, we're now we're flies on the wall of a prequel, which is a kind of a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, after work, they go to, not the double R, they go to Haps. They go to Haps. Tell us about Haps Diner, Paul. So Haps Diner is weird. Um because there's a guy who has a name tag on that says "Say Goodbye to Jack," <laughs> and and there's a light bulb kind of flashing, and you know they 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 go in there and you have um, the uh, chain smoking owner Irene, <laughs> the opposite of Norma, the opposite of Norma, and they have no specials, Joe. You want to hear what the specials are? We don't have any. <laughs> how is that? How is Hap still in business? They have I, an electrical problem, obviously, in their back room. <laughs> yeah, or that, in, their, in that back room, they gave me vibes of the the singing scene in Blue Velvet. Yes, yes, oh yes, oh yes, no question about that. And then there's the there there's a guy that's sitting there. Um, that, are you talking about that girl that got murdered? And he's t- sitting with... He, he, he obviously is not coherent with a woman that speaks only French sitting next to him. <laughs> um, and they ask her about how she died. And Irene says, you know, her murder was a freak accident. And does come back and say, you know, there was something... Um, <laughs> Where her left arm went completely numb and wouldn't work three days before her death. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> we haven't gotten to this because uh, this is in the finale, the season mm-hmm. two finale. Uh, 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 some people in this town of Twin Peaks, when uh, when Merle brings Annie into the Black Lodge, their arms all go numb. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this seems to be an indicator that. Danger is imminent. Yes. So then, um, now, I got the impression that Desmond and, now, another contrast between Desmond and Cooper. Cooper loves his sleep. Desmond doesn't sleep. Um, because they're up to all hours, and then they go to Haps at, like, it must be open 24-7. Yeah. And, which still doesn't explain to me how it's open either with, with no specials. And um, they, he's, Sam annoys everyone. Sam's just kind of this annoying, perfect person. And Kiefer plays him so well. And um, he asks, he notices, uh, Jasmine notices that Stanley has, has his cup in his hand. And he's like, hey, what time is it? And he has him pour his coffee on himself just to kind of fuck with this, with this yeah. <laughs> corner guy. <laughs> just, uh, just a uh, fucking piece of shit. He's not a piece of shit, but he's just, he's obnoxious, right, Joe? I mean. Yeah, Sam is, Sam is obnoxious. Uh, yeah, and again, uh, uh, Chet is more, you know, he's just kind of like your typical G-man. Uh, just kind of, you know, it. Chris Isaac's not an actor. 
<laughs> so let's just he does all right for what you know he does here, but he's he's not an actor, so he the only way he can play this is straight. And I'm gonna say I didn't think he was bad. He wasn't great. He, he was all right. He was perfectly adequate for the role. <laughs> uh, I would have liked to have known. Spoilers: We never find out what happened to Chet. No, we never do find out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So Sam's kind of annoying. Uh, he's annoying, uh, and Chet makes him spill coffee on his pants, which was great. Yeah. But then, then we go to Fat Trout Trailer Park, and <laughs> our good friend Carl. Paul, how much do we love Harry Dean Stanton? I love Harry Dean Stanton. Oh my God, is he ever in a bad movie? Is Paul, he re- to this, Paul? This day, and especially in these times, I quote him in Repo Man: "Ordinary fucking people." I fucking hate him. <laughs> I just, I there's nothing he's been in that I didn't like him in. Um, he is one of those actors that is just he's solid he was solid as fuck and he started late in life too mm-hmm. he was like i think he was like in his 40s when he started decided he wanted to act i saw him because i forgot like until we did a joe down on cool hand luke that he was in that i think that must have might have been one of his earlier roles well so he did a lot of tv in the in the 50s and um, was really limited to TV. Um, a lot of shows, you know, that we wouldn't have paid attention to. Um, it really wasn't an, until uh, he got his break, I think, in Cool Hand Luke was his first real movie. Well, no, he was in the he was in the Hostage, um, 1967's The Hostage, but he wasn't a major character in that. But yeah, he was in Cool Hand Luke. And then, um, yeah, it really... Well, it wasn't until, like, the 80s he kind of started becoming bigger. Yeah, I think in the 80s he was, like, in his 50s at that time. Yes, yeah. Well, he was Luke in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which was a big movie at the time, but never really got a lot of its due. Um, But then he he has ended up in, like, Escape from New York. mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, He's, like, like, in all these great cult movies of the 80s that you and I love. Oh, yes, absolutely, he was. I um, mean, he was in The Black Marble, Private Benjamin, Escape from New York, Christine, Repo Man, Repo Man The Bear, Red Dawn. Um, you know, he was in Pretty in Pink. Uh, you know, he was, I mean, but I, I think the, his major breakthrough role for him was when he was an alien. Yes. That's when he really started to become what? You know, I think that was like when he got noticed mainstream. Yeah, and so he finds himself in David Lynch's kind of crosshairs, which is cool because like after this, they both became like really good friends, like which is kind of neat. Uh, it's super neat, yeah, because he was in Wild at Heart as well. Yeah, he played the the hapless husband. Yep, yep, he played Johnny. Um, he played Carl, and he he prized Carl for the return. the return. Yes. Yep. He even gets to sing a song in the return. And we'll talk about him in the return. Yeah. And we'll, we can, we'll talk a little bit about Carl right now. So Carl owns the Fat Trout Trailer Park, mm-hmm. which in the return, I guess it's relocated into Twin Peaks, probably just to 
for to make the story make sense. Yep. But Carl and uh, Miss Lanterman, our log lady, have an interesting history, according to Secret History of Twin Peaks, in that both of, when they were young, vanished for a few days, reemerged with strange, what we all know now as the owl cave markings on their bodies. Yes. With no recollection of what happened. Mm-hmm. I bring this up because uh, Carl says he's been places and he wants to stay there. He says that when Chet and him and Stanley are in uh, Teresa Banks's uh, trailer. Uh, he just, it seems like a throwaway line again, which I think there's no throwaway line that Mark Frost and David Lynch can't bring back. <laughs> right, which is, I've already gone places, I just want to stay where I am. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, so, that becomes way more meaningful with the secret history. Yes, and not only that, he's the only person in Deer Meadow who makes a damn fine cup of coffee. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. He does. Um, it's it's blacker than uh, what, what, what is uh, good? What does he call it? A cup of a uh, Good Morning America. Yes. Yes. Now, yeah. what do you think the hunched woman was in the trailer park that showed up? Lodge Entity. That's what I thought, too. Uh, she, uh, that music seems to be universal. Now that we're, we're paying more attention, whenever we hear that kind of music and, like, that kind of suspenseful things, I think it's a Lodge Entity. She's kind of dirty. She looks like one of the, kind of like one of the woodsmen in The Return. Mm-hmm. And did you catch the noise? Yes. <laughs> okay. Did. Okay. Yep. 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 I caught the noise too. The yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. you got to pay attention to the audio, especially very much. Fire walk with me and in the return, which with the return I'll probably listen to on headphones. Just I've never done it before, but I heard it adds a lot of a lot of texture to it. So yeah. Apps. Absolutely. So they go out there, they go to the trailer park, they're not really finding anything. They notice the photo, though, of Teresa wearing a large gold ring with the green stone that was missing. Yeah, that was missing. This would be the infamous Owl Cave ring. This movie introduced it. We never saw it in the TV series. So this was kind of a cool thing. Again, Lynch didn't explain anything or asking Lynch to explain things is just a fool's errand. Um, But uh, a little more background on the ring. We know there's something menacing about it and nobody really knows the implications of it. Uh, The missing pieces kind of clears it up a bit with the Philip Jeffrey scene and then above the, above the convenience store. But uh, at this point we're just like, what the fuck's this ring? (laughs) Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the ring because I do think that in order to really understand what's going on in this movie, you need to understand the ring. Which is, it's still kind of a secret history and this and the return all seem to have, there's conflicting things. This ring does many things. It brings great power and wealth, which ultimately results in a grave downfall. 
But it yes. also prevents Bob from the merging of two worlds. It, 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 I don't even know if it's necessarily just Bob either. I think it has something to do with preventing the large entities. It does something there. I mean, I know there's a significant of Bob, but I don't know if it's limited to Bob. But it does prevent Bob. As soon as Laura puts on the ring, that's when Bob has to kill her. That When she puts on the ring, that is her rejecting Bob from becoming yes. her. Yes, and I think that has also to do with something. I, I think it's universal among the Lodge entities. But Mike gets to wear it. Well, but Which Mike is, is a but Mike is a Lodge entity. Yeah, but it didn't kick Mike out of Philip Gerard. Mm, that's a good point. See, this is where the confusion of this happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good point. But because I think but, because Mike is more of a positive entity of the Lodge, where he's trying to prevent. What the Black Lodge is cooking, or what? And Bob maybe it's in because particular. he rejected the arm that he can he can have it. Yeah. That because um, okay. So I'm going to jump a little bit ahead because I think um, <laughs> in order to talk about the ring, there's a scene in where the you know part of where this of our podcast name got its name from was above the convenience store, and that's brought up in the show, but it's really shown in 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 the in this movie. And there's a part where the man, where the arm, or the man from another world, is talking about the tables made of uh, formica, and it's green. Now I know it's a jade green ring, but I do believe that the ring has something to do with the formica table. Yeah, there's a little uh, indention on the table. I don't know if you noticed. Yes, there's a hole in there where I believe the ring came out of. Yes. Um, and so, I uh, now the thing with the ring and preventing Bob though is that uh, again, we're going to get really all over the board here, but we have to dig into this. We really do, because Bob, we learn in the return, is a fairly new being. Yes. The ring from the secret history has been around since at least the nineteenth century. Yeah, at least uh, from Lewis and Clark's. Discovery, uh, yes, West Passage, yes, and so there is something to the ring because that's where they met Twisted Hair, and we'll get into that. I think we'll get into some of that, but the ring's been around for a while, and the ring has had several different owners over the years, and all of the owners have had bad endings, have had a meteoric. rises and then just terrible um falls even mary with mary weather lewis himself Mm -hmm. history uh he dies under mysterious circumstances yes Uh, yes he's basically kind of torn apart from what people are hearing and that you know nobody knows exactly what happened it's a divert again people read that book it's super interesting it's super fun it is it is yes um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, and he's told by the person who gives him the ring that he's allowed to take it, but he's never to wear it. Um, and that's kind of the thing. You're never supposed to wear the ring. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I think there's more to it than just, yeah. you know, I and I put it on and I think they don't say Lewis put it on, but I think once you cross that barrier, something happens. 
Yes. Yeah. Ap- yeah. Think Once the intention of what you do when you put it on to Laura mm-hmm. put it on to protect her from bo- becoming Bob, which is that's yeah. Bob would become Laura. The cycle of abuse starts again within the Palmer family. I think Cooper doesn't know what the he's he's he wants to save the life of Laura Palmer. And this comes back in the return. And I think mm-hmm. he sees her putting on the ring would be because it mean ultimately her putting on the ring means she's going to die. Yes. And I, I that's why I said I think there's something there and I think we're on the cusp of it where um, I, I think maybe what it does is it enrages the Black Lodge um, and marks you for death. And I think that's, I think, because when you see what happens with, at the end of, of the movie, when she puts on, he go Bob goes into a rage. Yeah. Right? So I think it ruined his plans of being able to possess her because the ring is part of the, um, you know, is part of how they get their, uh, what's it called? Gar- Gargan. Um, Armambosia. Thank you. Yes. Pain and suffering. Yeah, where they get their pain and suffering. So this is the introduction to the ring. Um, and the ring is a big deal throughout this entire movie as well. Yeah. And the ring prevents, as soon as Laura puts on the ring, it prevents Bob. Yep. Being her, maybe, I don't know if it grants wishes or whatever, but it, it signifies that she made a decision. He's not welcome. And she seals her fate. The, the but, ring, you know, before we started the podcast, I, I said to Joe, I said, the ring is kind of this Lynchian MacGuffin that can kind of do whatever it wants um, when it needs to do it. <laughs> yes. But I think there are certain, I think there is, even in Lynch's um, world, I think there is certain limitations to it. I just don't know what they are. <laughs> it just seems like the it gives extreme highs and extreme lows. Uh, the, the Lodge entities are... It affects Bob, I think, more than the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I, I think that's more because of what Bob is. But I still think it affects Lodge entities. Yeah, they, uh, they. It's usually held in there. We see it again in the Return, which again, it, it seems like, even in the Return, and this is going to confuse us even more because the, the ring will like when you die, it brings. If you die wearing the ring, you go back to the Lodge. Again, we don't fully understand this thing but to move things along typically when you wear it it brings you great highs and then a brutal downfall and some of the people who wore the ring at one point or another in history jack parsons infamous uh well explain us explain to everybody jack parsons oh briefly we can't go too far into the secret history but he's I think Jack it, Jack Parsons is an interesting character. Real character, too. Real real person. Jack Parsons is a real person. Now, um, Jack Parsons is probably the person that's truly responsible for um, uh, Dianetics. <laughs> Inadvertently. <laughs> Inadvertently. Um, <clears throat> so there's a thing uh, called uh, the, the Thelmion. And it is a form of uh, uh, occult witchcraft um, that was brought famous by one Aleister Crowley. Now, 
Parsons uh, was a known uh, practitioner of Thalmion. This is real. But Parsons was also a pioneer in creating rocket fuel uh, in the 30s and 40s and was... Um, he helped create uh, jet propulsion. Yes. Yes, he helped create Everything. jet propulsion. And in 1945, he and L. Ron Hubbard met. And they, uh, L. Ron Hubbard basically stayed with him um, on his on, uh, on his kind of his ranch area, his mansion. And they performed sex magic together and did a whole bunch of fucking drugs together. Then L. Ron, L. Ron ran off with his woman. And... Um, and uh, um, started started Dianetics. So that's that's Jack Parsons. Yeah, and he is seen in the book Secret History uh, with the ring on the ring and on. reciting the Fire Walk with Me poem. Mm-hmm. And uh, another illustrious individual, one Donald J. Trump, is at one point seen wearing the owl cave ring. Yes, he is, uh, and he was a uh, he, he was a um, patronage of a uh, of of um. Not Teresa Banks, but of um, uh, one of the uh, wives uh, from from Twin Peaks that's brought up in the, uh, um, yeah. yes, yes, uh, that married was it Dougie or no, it wasn't Dougie. It was the other one, uh, the uh, the mayor's brother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll get in, we'll get into him uh, when we get more into the secret history. But long this we kind of the ring has special powers and it brings. It brings a lot of power, but it also has a pretty significant downfall for a lot of these individuals who wear it. And again, it's just, it's uh, the only person who doesn't want it, and we'll see it in the return, is Bob. Yes. Bob yes. is somehow, he's like, aller- he's allergic to the ring. <laughs> and I, I wonder if it's because the ring, be- and I and I think, I you know what, I think I hit it. I think I know why in, in talking about this. Because the ring brings you back to the lodge, and that's yeah. where Bob does not want to be. <laughs> yes, I think you're right. Uh, when you die wearing the ring, you go back to the lodge. Mm-hmm. And, and the ring will bring you death. The ring will bring you death. Yeah. So he doesn't want to wear it. Good for Bob. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good for Bob. Bob's and... just trying to fun people. Why are you all just shitting on Bob's fun? <laughs> <laughs> Bob just wants to have fun. So so now we go back. Uh, so they, they look around. They notice the ring's missing, whatever. Uh, Chet and Stanley part ways. Uh, Stan, Sam Stanley's going to bring Teresa Banks' body back back to Washington. There's a little heated... Uh, some head button at the sheriff's station. I, and I think we should bring in the missing pieces scene. Oh, I love back. the missing pieces Extended. scene. I, 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 Paul had never seen it, and I, I told him, you're going to love... There's a fight scene between Chet Desmond and the sheriff. Yes. It's, it's, and the only reason people knew about the missing pieces was that the script leaked in the 90s at some point, and there, fo- there was photo stills of this fight, and people were like, what are we missing from Firewalk with me? Well, and and if you notice, the one of the stills is in the movie. Where yeah. the scene where he's uh, like, if you look in the sheriff's office, he has a newspaper up where it says "Cable Ben Steel," and that is from 
the that that's a snapshot of, of of from this fight where he picks up like a rebar piece and bends it, um, or like a rebar cable, and and bends it to show off his strength. Yeah. So, for some reason, the local authorities don't want Teresa's body to go, and then we get like an old style fisticuffs fight where Chet just. Just wrecks this poor guy. <laughs> uh, oh, he does too, and it's it's an awkward looking fight. Like that dude, like when he takes off the uniform, does not look like anything like a cop, and shouldn't be a cop, and shouldn't be playing a cop. <laughs> He's just this really weird, lanky dude. Yeah, but I mean, it it works just because of just everybody in this town just seems kind of rotten. So like, I think that kind of fits with this character. <laughs> Chet, Chet literally beats the crap out of him. Like at first, it seems like the guys. He's the guy is. He's pretty tough. He can take a punch, but not that many punches, man. He takes a bunch of kidney punches. Gets his nose busted open, and like the Doppel Andy and Doppel Lucy are laughing until they realize, oh no, things are taking a taking a turn for the worse for their boss. Yeah, I love it. I that fight was fantastic because yeah, he just <laughs> in the last bowl. This one's from Jay Edgar. Just... Yeah, this one's from Jay because he keeps calling him Jay Edgar, and then he picks up the, and then and then Desmond picks up the the the, the steel too and bends it and is like, yeah, he... <laughs> what what the fuck? So insult injury. Yeah, so they don't want to take the body, and then he asks, what does he say? He goes, um, she had a ring. You know, do you know where it went? I have a telephone. That's got a little ring. And the other guy, Sheriff Howard's like, ah, it's just so dumb. Like, yeah, just, the guy just, just cracks dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, I'm the sheriff. Nice to meet you, hungry. <laughs> you see the <laughs> jokes like that. <laughs> so <laughs> Sam and Chet part ways. Yep. Chet wants to go back to the trailer park to just take another go around. And he gets there and... Uh, you know, uh, you know, he's looking, and you notice there's this this really spooky looking trailer. Yes, uh, where I imagine that old woman came out of. This is like another thing that is explored in in the return. Uh, yes, this is a portal to the Black Lodge or one yep. of the lodges. Uh, yep, it's a portal to one of the lodges. It's a portal to one of the lodges. You got Glastonbury Grove, which is uh, the most famous one. In the yep. show, in this world, uh, Buckhorn, South Dakota has one. Has one. Yep. Uh, Fat Trout Trailer Park apparently had one until it vanishes later. <laughs> well, I think it's the trailer itself. Yeah, the trailer itself. So Chet's, you know, there's like weird electric noises coming out of the trailer, and Chet mm-hmm. sees the owl cave ring, bends down, grabs it, and he's gone. He's gone. Yeah. Uh, now. We're just, I'm just going to say it here. It's never explained what happened to Chet Desmond. No, what do you think happened? I want to, let's just ask this. What do you think happened? Oh, fuck. Since we never see him in any of the lodges, I think the, the ring made, probably just obliterated him, would probably be like the laziest guess I have, but I can't think of anything else. You, you see doppelgangers or whatever in the lodges or what, of the people who go there, but you never see Chet again. Mm-hmm. I think I I I 
believe that Chet is somewhere in a lodge. I think he is very similar to um, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Philip Jeffries. Yeah. I think stuck he's just two of them. Stuck I think two worlds. I think he's stuck between worlds, and you just but his his fate is far more gruesome. Yeah. Yep. Hey, we got some fodder for season four. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, we'll probably won't get it, but if they did, no. please bring back Chet. Yeah, bring back Chet. Out. We need we we need resolution from Chet. We need resolution from Chet. We can't say we want resolution out of Twin Peaks, man. We're never gonna get it. <laughs> this just throws us more questions. And so he vanishes, and we uh, were magically whisked away to Philadelphia, where Agent Cooper comes walking up to Gordon Cole's desk. It's February sixteenth. That he thinks the dream he had is uh, a dream he had is worrying him. Yes. The dream he told Cole about. The dream he told Cole about. I told you about my dream. Today's the day. I'm worried about this. And Cooper is behaving weird. He's not a normal self, is he? No. Uh. Yeah, this is a very different kind of Cooper week than we're used to. Mm-hmm. He starts kind of messing with the security cameras. He knows something's up, and we know something's up because out of nowhere, Philip Jeffries appears, and it shows. It shows like when he shows up at FBI headquarters, time stops because Cooper is still on the camera frozen as he comes walking by even though cooper's in the other room with him and that's and he starts yelling for gordon which makes you believe that's the dream he had yes and mm-hmm. so it's very distorted here you don't really hear what uh you hear him saying like i went to their meeting and all this and it's very distorted very on purpose keeping it vague mm-hmm. and this is where i this the missing pieces helps is so much I think it's essential for this scene because uh, it cuts out a lot. Mm -hmm. The actual cut cuts out a lot. So in the missing pieces, we're in Buenos Aires, I believe. Philip Jeffries walks into a hotel. (laughs) He's been missing, mind you, for two years. Uh, He walks in a hotel. I think he asks about Judy to the secret. And he gets a note. And then... He he just he gets his hotel room key and then he just poof, all of a sudden he's in Philadelphia. Yes, and then he's also a gone again. Then he, this yeah, it's. But w- what happens in so the missing piece is kind of is like it's similar here, and I'm gonna. But what happens is the electric pole with the number six on it plays a big role in all of this now. Uh, it goes like so Philip Jeffries and then it goes right to the convenience store in the missing pieces. And we hear the words Chrome reflects our image. And then you have the the arm and Bob. You got the Woodsman, you got Mrs. Chalfont and young Leland. This movie doesn't even make it bag. That is Leland Palmer, his innocence probably in essence. Uh yeah, it's uh and they're talking about an intercourse between two worlds, which would be Black Lodge wants, Imagine wants Bob to inhabit Laura so he can stay 
longer because Bob has a time limit, apparently. Yeah, yeah. How long he can be outside. Yeah. Uh, Bob says, I have the theory of my own momentum. Uh, Garmon Bozzi has brought up. This is a Formica table. Green is its color, which made me think of the Pink Floyd song, Green is the Color. <laughs> with this ring, I the wed. Wed, yeah. Yep. Air walk with me. This is like, and this is the meeting Jeffries is explaining. He's trying to explain to Gordon. Yep. Hooper. Because he, what he says when it gets from this, and it's like Bob in the arms leaving and whatever, and you get Laura having her Joker smile imposed. He's, uh, one is an interesting thing. He's like, who do you think this is? He points at Cooper because he's not in linear time at this point. I believe. I, yes. Yes, and this was a huge red herring for the return. Oh, huge. Yeah. Oh, it's not even a red herring. It's just a huge clue, like an actual clue. Yes. Um, like, 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 who do you think that is there? So, yeah, let's talk about a little bit about the differences there. Um, because what you see is really kind of pieced together and it's, it's interspliced and it's just, it's, you know, um, it's sloppy. I mean, I'm just going to be yeah. very, very honest. It's sloppy. And but, I think it's just because he had to cut it down for time. Yes, he had to cut it down for time. And But what you get with, with in, in the missing pieces um, is actually makes sense. Yeah, so he admits that he, he came across these entities and he followed them. Yes. And he ended up in one of their meetings above the convenience store. Whoa, whoa what's that? Hello? We're talking about the convenience stores, so electricity's <laughs> going off. Wow, that was crazy. All right. Apparently we're talking about we're on we're on to something here. We're on to something here. Oh, we yes. should we can't talk about Judy now. Yeah, we can't, <laughs> that we was our warning. Yeah, that was our warning. We're not gonna talk about Judy. We're not gonna talk about Judy. Okay, and also what I love about the missing pieces is, is we do get a little levity from this intense Philip Jeffrey scenes from our best friend. Albert. 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 I thought we weren't going to talk about... I thought we were leaving Judy out of this. <laughs> so awesome. So awesome. Uh, here's another one. It's just like... Oh, I thought I wrote it down. It might be in the... Oh, he's like something like maybe a rain down post toasties or something. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what he says during it. But yeah, I mean, he's... I love him in the in in the in, in in this. Yes, like we needed more anything with more Albert, and we again how he is in the in the missing pieces. Like he does have one of the best lines though, and we'll get to it after this when Cooper's talking about the next victim. But yeah, so he's talking about Judy. Just positive about this, and again, I don't think Lynch had an idea what Judy was going to be. It was just what, like it's kind of thrown out weird. Lines, which again, glad him and Frost kind of flesh this stuff out. For, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we find out he's been, Cole's like, you've been missing two years. Yeah, you've been missing for two years. And he keeps saying, uh, we live inside a dream, which yes. is called back. There's This line is called back, and then uh, the line, is this future or is this past, is also called back in the return. These are kind of like two kind of big things of the return. Uh mm -hmm. 
and then electricity starts. Yeah, he's a and it's raining post toasties was what Albert's line is. Uh, yeah, electricity like, starts going in and out. He finds out like Jeffries is like it's February 1989. He seems completely confused, and then he vanishes and he reappears back at his hotel, like with like a from a bolt of lightning. Lightning, yeah, pain. Mm-hmm. So, and it's so frightening that the guy carrying his luggage says he should. Yeah, he should his pants. <laughs> he should his pants. So like now we kind of know, especially it's fleshed out here more. And then what we learned from the return is Jeffries stumbled upon the lodge lodge entities, made it to the convenience store. But I think he went about it in such a way that means he that he he's not in either worlds anymore. Right. He's kind of trapped between two worlds, which I think and, makes sense with your theory on Chet. Yep. I think that's exactly what happened to Chet. And I think Chet wasn't as fortunate enough to ever be seen again. Yeah. Well, Philip, like, again, he followed these entities. He wasn't. I think he entered the lodges. If there's a wrong way to enter the lodge world, Philip found the way. <laughs> yes. Poor Philip. Yes. And now I also want to bring up a little bit about Philip and what we learned about him. Philip was essentially the head of this task force that um, Cole put together. And we'll find that out in the return and in the uh, and in the, the secret history. Yes. Yes. So Philip Jeffries is like him coming back was a big is a big deal. Him showing up. Um, but we just don't know that yet. Yeah, and I believe he was, David Bowie was going to reprise the character, but unfortunately he had passed away by the mm-hmm. time they started filming. Yeah. Philip Jeffries does return uh, as a giant teapot. Yeah, I was going to say, just as a teapot, but we'll explain that later. I don't know how we're going to explain it, but we'll, we'll try our damnedest. <laughs> so, and in the, and when, when, when Cole's talking about the being in the convenience store, he is there with the arm, with Bob, with Mrs. Chalfant and her grandson, and the jumping man. I love the jumping man. I want to. Yeah. I just want to say, of all the lodge entities, I don't know why the jumping man is my favorite. Yeah, he's so creepy yeah. looking. He's fucking weird. He's fucking weird. Um, I, and I don't know what the significance of the jumping man is, but we also get what were throwback characters. Um, the woodsman. Yes. Which is cool that they brought him back. Yes. Uh, for the return. They come back for the return. They look a lot different. They look a little more spooky here. They just look like they're wearing like, like cheap Halloween costumes. Just odd. Like, the guy with the big black beard, it just looks like it's glued on his face. Like, I'm guessing uh, time was running short when they were filming these scenes for costume. But the jumping man got the full attention. Yeah, I like the... Never forget the jumping man. The jumping man, yeah, I have to agree with you. Like, I want to know what the jumping man's deal is. I want to know more about that lodge entity. But they're all there, and they're, you know, and then, yeah, Jeffrey starts screaming, and, 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 and then we see electrical lines, and he's gone. And it's just kind of like, hey, we called the front, uh, then Albert says, you know, I called the front desk, he was never here. Yeah, and then, uh, which is 
so this scene's interesting, and we'll talk about it in the return, is that after this scene, uh, Gordon and uh, Albert, it slowly fades from their memory, and they don't remember it until yes. it's brought up in the return. And then they're like, oh, I, wow, I, I complete, they completely forget that Philip Jeffries reappears, which I think is, it plays a role in a lot of this is that I think just things happen and then it's like forces beyond kind of force it out of their memories for whatever reason, because they don't, they don't remember it until it's kind of all of a sudden it's like a moment of epiphany or whatever for Cole and the return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then we find out that it's kind of a weird cut, but they realize Desmond is missing and hasn't reported him. So they send Cooper to go investigate him, his disappearance. Yeah, and we only get a little, because he ends up taking over the case, too, of Teresa Banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a little bit of that. We talked about it with him and Sam and one of the missing pieces. But, yeah, just because uh, Kyle didn't want to do the movie, they had to do it this way. So he'd only have to be there for a little bit for filming. But, yeah, it's uh, Cooper goes to Fat Trout. And he sees a giant scorch mark on the ground where Chet was. Oh last God! Season. Yeah, yeah. Which and... kind of like if you if we had the missing pieces part, we would have seen what happened to Jeffries. It kind of shows that these entities, through electricity or whatever, appear and disappear in a lightning bolt or something. It's yeah, yeah, and that's in the missing pieces. We kind of, yeah, we discussed that, but yeah, they, they, I mean, and we know that they travel through electricity. You learn that in the return as well. Yeah, and um, so then you know, he's like, it's really there was an interesting kind of conversation between him and Carl, where he's like, I told him that's where the sheriff was and that's where Teresa was, and he's like, I'm not going over there. And he's like, I don't know what the hell these people are doing, and <laughs> and he asked who lives there, and he's like, it's it's the Shelfonts, and which we learned is really the Tremont is, I think it's the same entity. Uh, it, I think it depends. It might be doppelgangers. Like we're people we're dealing with like duality here with, I think the Shalfonts are the antagonistic versions of the Tremonts because the Tremonts seem to be the child and the old woman who are the Tremonts seem to be looking over Harold and they seem to be pretty protective of that diary of Laura's. Where the Shalfonts, they they seem to to put Laura in later on in a position via a, a, a portable portal into the lodges via painting. But uh, the child with Mrs. Shalfont here is Leland Palmer. Uh, they 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 bring it up when Laura runs into him that. Yeah, the man behind the mask is under the fan. Yeah. Yep. 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 But so we know that two Shalfonts lived here. And then they see Chet's car and written in hot pink lipstick is Let's Rock. Let's Rock. Yes. Yes. Call back uh, to the dream sequence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um and I don't. Mm, mm. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But anyway, so 
And let it out, man. Let it out. Well, I just I question if it is because um, I I kind of wonder if if Shelfont and Trayman aren't the same, and she's kind of a entity of her own because when you look at the way she looks at Bob, she's not happy with Bob, and in a way, what she led Laura to led to Laura not being able, you know, uh, being more leery of Bob. I mean, we'll get into the dream sequence of everything and how that occurs. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and even to gum this up more, in the, the fat last scene of The Return, uh, we meet a different shelf yeah. on. Yes. He talks off camera to a Mrs. Tremont. Yes, absolutely. Yep, yep. Mrs. Shelmont sold the Helmer, uh, yep, sold the Palmer house to Alice Tremont. Yep. Fucking weird. So, yeah, there's something going on there. So I wonder if she's maybe, if it's the same entity and it's more of an entity of, that's more Judy adjacent and not Bob adjacent because there's something going on there between the two. I don't I, know. Yeah, I don't know. We I don't, don't know either. But... I think Judy's her whole thing, I own thing. I don't think Judy has anything much beyond birthing Bob with these. She seems outside the lodge because Jeffries consults her about the lodge stuff. I still, <sighs> but well, okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about Judy. No, we weren't going to talk about Judy. Judy, the uh, basic idea I think of Judy was um, uh, was was was, and this pronoun and they bring it up in the secret history was Jaude, or or, which was a Sumerian god. Brought it in the return. Yeah, yeah, yep. In the return, and it's brought up a a little bit in the was it was the secret history a little bit. uh, Yeah, the Jack Parsons stuff at the Mm -hmm. same stuff. Yeah, so Jaude or uh, was. when you look at the Sumerian mythology, Jaudi is the female form of the um, Atuku, which is an escaped wandering demon that feasts on human suffering. Um, And it's in in Sumerian texture, um, if a female and male form known as Baal um, were ever married while on Earth, they would produce a more malevolent being, hastening the end of the world. Um. So I do think that that Judy is something to deal with the lodges and maybe is like I kind of look at her as the matriarch of the Black Lodge. Like all these things are being done and but the lot but each one of these entities being what they are being evil being kind of what I view as the personifications of the seven deadly sins all have their own kind of agendas. And I think that, um, you, you know, that's why Bob's in, in the return, Bob's doing its own thing. It doesn't want to go back to the lodge and why there's kind it's of this whole searching for Judy too, which is another weird thing. And I think it's, and it's more of a menacing thing. I think it's to get rid of Judy. Yeah. And I Judy's think, probably the only thing that can just, well, not the only thing we find out. That's a, that's a green glove. That's a green glove. But I think that, I, I, you know, I think if you if you look at like Dante and kind of some interpretations of the seven layers of hell, that um, you know there's like this hierarchy, and some of these demons, Bob included, wants to be more prevalent and wants more control over it. But I think that a lot of this, 
at least the Dark Lodge, I think it, I, I don't think Judy's outside of it. I think Judy is kind of the, is kind of the, 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 the owner or the, or the orchestrator of the Lodge, given what we know about the Sumerian version of Jody. Or more of a more powerful entity of the Lodge where she can come and go. Yes. Judy comes and goes. Like, Judy, like, Judy is, well, and Judy's probably, um, uh, is an old being, right? And is super powerful and can do whatever it wants to do. And I think that's what Bob is trying to get. Yeah. Is trying to get to that point. Yep. That's like, yeah. that, that's my thought. That's my, yeah, I think we're on the same page now. I think mm-hmm. we are in agreement. Yeah. Yeah. She is adjacent. Yeah. She, she's just so powerful. She doesn't need to be in the lodge. Yes. But I, but I like she uses Jeffries to find out what the lodge beings are doing. Yes, and I and I think that she is. I think she's been in complete control manipulation of the lodges to get her pain and suffering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, hence why the we'll get into it. The golden ball falls into her lap. That is Laura Palmer. Exactly. Yes. So then, Al Clues leading Teresa Banks after all this muddled talk. Um, yeah. <laughs> We went on a tangent. There. We went on a tangent there, but you have to in order to dissect this. And this is why I appreciate this movie so much more, and I think you do as well, because yeah, we would so- be sitting, sitting here going, "What the fuck does any of this mean?" We were now, we any- now we have a little roadmap. Exactly, and that's what was really needed for this movie. I think, at least for this beginning part. From everything on out here, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, because now it's a year later, and it's what um, a week before Laura Palmer's death. Yep, it opens with the the famous shot of the "Welcome to Twin Peaks" sign and the show's theme song. Uh, and uh, Laura Palmer is walking. Uh, she sees Mike and Bobby. For the love of God, Paul, don't call him Snake. He calls him Snake. He calls him Snake. It's no, it's it, it's does. never picked up. It's not going to pick up now. Called him Snake. You and David Lynch are just hanging on to this thing, man. <laughs> um, he calls him Snake, though. Does he not call him Snake? I don't remember. I blacked out. Oh, you <laughs> dick. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Bobby and Mike, are, and they're acting kind of odd. Um. They're high school kids. They're all awkward. They have constant boners all the time. Well, yes, but I just mean from their characters in the show, um, it just, they, again, you could tell this is more of the Lynch version than the Frost version, because characters, in my opinion, are a little askew in, in this, in the show. I mean, in the, in the movie than they are in the show. Do you agree? I think that's a lot of just writing. Okay. Okay. I'll be, you know, Lynch isn't the strongest script writer. Sure. He just isn't. Uh, He makes great movies, but if you look at the script of like Blue Velvet or Wild at Heart, it's just, you know, the movies are great, but it's just like the writing is, it's just not his strong suit. And he'll probably be the first to admit that. Yeah. And I think that's why this is like, Bobby and Mike are a little off. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, uh, Donna looks a little different. <laughs> Donna looks way different. Okay. Who who do you prefer, Moira Kelly or Laura Flynn Boyle? Laura Kelly. 
Yeah, me too. She she embodies that innocence, even like when she's losing her innocence later on. She still has that innocent charm, and it, we don't get the Nancy Drew mysteries. We don't get that fucking James song. We don't have her like ruining the show with backstage politics. Yeah, um, I really like Moira Kelly. Um, I'm surprised she hasn't had a better career than what she's had because I think she. I think I actually really enjoy her as an actress. Yeah. I think she did an excellent job. I think she did an excellent job of being Donna more than Laura Flynn Boyle was Donna. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Yeah, and we're just kind of getting the slice of life of Laura Palmer's life in Twin Peaks. We see the high school, like you know, she's we doing see, she's doing she's doing coke. the blow. She's doing coke like we all did in high school. She's like, meeting her boyfriend in the basement in a towel like we all did yeah. in high school. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that was high school. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that was a weird scene. That was a really odd scene, in my opinion. Um, you know, Jake's yeah. really in love with Laura, and then he has the, the quickest turnaround of love because <laughs> he just yeah. hops on that Donna train right away. Yeah. Yeah, well, and they hint at it as well because Donna kind of lets on that she's infatuated with with James um, when they're talking on the couch and you know so um, that's when they're talking about you know kind of bringing in the things and then later that day Laura freaks out because some of her pages are missing from her diary yeah uh, and this is her secret di- secret diary mm-hmm. uh, the red one <clears throat> pages were torn out and she runs the Heralds. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't know how or wh- how Bob found it, but she needs it in a safe spot. Yep. A lot of this is kind of ex- like, again, we won't go into all the missing pieces because a lot of it's just kind of like explaining what happened and leading up to the pilot, like Laura, how she got the money in the safe deposit box and all that that Bobby needed. Yep. Who really cares? Um, but yeah, she. This baby is laxative. We see, baby laxative. Yeah. <laughs> you killed a cop over baby laxative. <laughs> which they cut from this, which I think was, yeah. yeah. I would, but again, they had a cut for time. Yes. Um, and when she's talking to him, she, you know, she's explaining to Harold that Bob is real. And he's kind of trying to explain to her that Bob isn't real. And when and they get in an argument, and she brings out the fire walk with me, and her face changes like, like yeah. the possession is happening, it's starting. Yeah, and we see a little bit of this in the season two finale with Wendell Merle. His face does the same thing, it goes pale white, black lips, yellow teeth. It's a brief thing, but it, it Lynch brought it back here. She also says that Bob has been having her since she was 12. Which really makes the, oh, God, this poor woman. Uh, this is where, okay, so this is the thing with this with this movie. The first 30 minutes when the Chet Desmond, everything kind of with Cooper, that's where you get kind of the quirkiness and, and the humor of the show. From the Laura Palmer part on, it is so drenched 
And that's the best word I can have for it, drenched in depressing blackness. Yeah, it's it's dark. It um, is dark as fuck. Uh, yeah, she's so Laura Palmer. She's at this point, she's already a full blown drug addict. Yep, and coke. Uh, she uses sex to escape to an extent. Which is not uncommon. Nope, not uh, uncommon. That is not uncommon for, um, and that's actually very insightful of Lynch, um, that those that tend to be abused tend to be hypersexual. Yes. And use it as an escape. Um, and yeah, I mean, the fact is that like when you look at all these things, you look at where everything stemmed from, it stems from this trauma of being a 12-year-old girl that's being raped constantly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's dark. Uh, she also tells Harold, which is a key thing here, that Bob wants to be here, be her or kill her. Those are basically her two options. Mm-hmm. In life now or whatever. It's it's uh so she has these patterns of abuse. Uh, yeah. one of the deleted scenes even uh, Jacoby's deleted scene, which just felt like it added so much more fucking shit on Laura Palmer that I'm kind of glad Lynch got it. Mm-hmm. Because she just feels just like, it's just, oh, God, just like another dude in my life who wants to use and abuse me for their own self-gratification. And it's just like, oh, I'm glad. Mm. Of all the cameos, I'm glad Jacoby's was cut. Yeah, mine, yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. It was just, it was it was just, it was piling on a dead horse at that point. So uh, she leaves, basically, this is the last time that Harold ever saw Laura again. Yeah. Uh, is when he, is when she gave him the diary. We cut back to Philadelphia at the FBI headquarters. Cooper's predicting who the next victim is. And now, this is such great character development for Albert as well. Because Albert's a cynic. But he believes what Cooper's doing, so it makes it, even when he says to Cooper, like, you know, uh, uh, we talked about last episode, go on a revision quest, you have to go on, let's end this, right? Like, I just love this, because I felt this added more mix to that dynamic between Cooper and Albert. Absolutely. Um, so, Cooper, so who's who's going to be the next victim? Mm -hmm. Male, female, female. Uh you know, basically a high school girl mm -hmm. with blonde hair, who's sexually Drug. promiscuous and has a, a drug addiction, to which Albert responds, well, damn, Cooper, you just talking about half the high school girls in America. Yep, exactly. What's she doing right now? She's making a large abundance of food. So this also goes into how Cooper was linked to all of this basically before anything, you know, I mean, like it was basically his destiny. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it will find out in the return is he's trapped in a loop of trying to save Laura Palmer. Exactly. Yep. But they are, they are constantly linked. Um, so, at that point, it cuts to Laura doing the Meals on Wheels, where she meets Mrs. Shelfont and her grandson in, in the parking lot. 
Yeah, uh, she. Uh, this is creepy. Bef- a little bit before uh, Norma asks Shelly. So we get like two characters back, like to help Laura and Shelly. You, sh- you can tell Shelly just doesn't like Laura. Uh, no. I'm no, busy. Not I'm like busy Laura. counting money in the register. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's, I think you didn't have to, to, to allude to it. I think that asshole had to do, uh, um, had to do more with the, uh, Bobby situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the parking lot, she hands uh, Miss Shelfon hands Laura a painting. Super weird. And like this movie's like shows how great Lynch is at making the mundane terrifying. Mm-hmm. Being a ceiling fan or just like a painting you'd see at like a Goodwill. Uh, it's like a it shows a door and weird flowered uh, wallpaper. And then uh, the young young, uh, young man with the mask is the she says the man behind the mask is looking for the book with the pages torn out. And the man behind the mask is the little kid. So yep. this is this is Leland, probably yep. I guess is innocence or whatever's entity being shielded from what's going on because it's obviously the mask has no eyes or mouth or anything looks a little bit like the jumping man's face but it looks a lot like the jumping man's face yep but uh, yeah so this that's i think that's leland's entity or whatever uh that poor son of a bitch wants to rip cords torn paul <laughs> well <laughs> i i think think the the I, I think i mean i think that's what it's representing there um i i think the 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 the, the grandson is another entity um of its own um and but i think yes i think that has to do with the um i think it's i think it is representing leland at that point i think that i actually think that's leland at for that the age i think that's when at that age is when he saw robertson at pearl lakes and let him in and that's where leland is now mm, that's an interesting the young because that's when leland let bob in as a young boy do you think maybe then that maybe that's it's not necessarily leland but it's like it created an entity like, yeah uh, maybe an entity of innocence yeah yeah okay like, i can that's buy that innocence and it's blind mm-hmm. to what's going on it's, it's, i think that's a symbolism that lynch is doing there that yeah. that's leland's innocence and it's blind to what leland's actually doing mm-hmm. they can't, can't see or talk so that that's my interpretation we welcome everybody to throw their two cents in oh absolutely absolutely um very interesting. I like that interpretation. Okay, so yeah, so she runs back home. She tells um, uh, Shelly she can't do the Meals on Wheels. Um, she runs back home and sneaks in and goes to her bedroom. And there we see Bob for the first time in this movie, terrifying in his denim tuxedo. Yeah, where um, uh, the, 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 the he's at, he's looking for the diary. Yep, he's looking for the diary, and then she runs out before he. Did he see her? Yeah, he stares right at her. Okay, 
Okay. She screamed, so I, it'd be weird if Bob didn't see her. That's what I thought. I think Bob just enjoys torturing her for pain and suffering. So, well. so, but yeah, she comes running out of the house crying, and then she sees Leland walking out of the house, which uh, and it should be pointed out. Laura doesn't know Bob is in Leland. Yes, she doesn't know who Bob is. She doesn't know when who Bob, Bob is. Bob is raping her. All she sees is Bob. Um. Yes, and it's it's, it's this is this is made apparent when she is kind of crying like, "Oh, but please, you know, not him, not him. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him." Yeah. Right. But it's starting to sink in that it could be Leland. Yes. To her. And we all know it's Leland, mm-hmm. which makes it a little even more unsettling <laughs> that we know and Laura doesn't. Which yeah, is it, like the flip of the show. Yeah, and it's it's super dark. It's again, it just adds this darkness um, to this thing. Like we know what's coming, and she doesn't. Um, so that evening, we get glimpses into this where. We're shown that Bob was in control of Leland a lot more than we thought in the show. Yes. And it's really, Ray Wise does a good job because he shows when Bob takes over just with facial expressions. So good. So good. I, I do want to say that Cheryl Lee and Ray Wise are amazing at pantomiming and acting through expressions, their emotions. Absolutely. Uh, so good. I think if there was, I think maybe if there was a little bit more time between the show ended and this came out, people would have been able to appreciate their performances more. Mm-hmm. They, may, they may have still not have liked it, but I think mm-hmm. like it got panned just because uh, people were expecting something different. Because their acting in this was amazing. And again, uh, Cheryl uh, Cheryl Lee deserved a better acting career than what she got. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. She did fantastic in this. And it's... Because she's really good in this. And I thought she was a little clumsy in, when she played Maddie in the show. I don't think she was... Ex- Incredible! I didn't. She didn't really, really wow me as an actress there. But in Firewalk with me, she does. Yes, yeah, she wowed me in 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 Firewalk with me. She really did. And And again, we've talked to the death about how just how much we both love Ray Wise. And he he. Oh God, this scene. Um. So so first, first Laura runs to Donna's. And she's mm-hmm. crying. And this, uh, I just want to bring it up because this scene where she's at the door crying, uh, it's brought back in the return when Agent uh, Gordon Cole opens his hotel room to Albert. And it, like he sees Laura crying from this scene, which is, I don't know what it represents, but it was must have something to do with it. Otherwise, Lynch wouldn't have put it in. <laughs> which part? Where she goes to Donna's and she's crying. Well, and she says, you know, uh, are you my friend? Yeah. And uh, I was, I'll briefly bring up the missing pieces part of this. We get a, we get Doc Hayward back. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he has a very cryptic thing. 
he's trying to calm her down and he starts talking about the angels and like when an angel goes missing to it'll find you again. Yeah, he's basically saying the end of the movie. Inadvertently he's telling Laura her fate. I okay, so I think the reason why this was left in was this was I feel the only moment that we saw an unguarded unwalled Laura in the brief moment I think she was ready to unload everything on the Donna and tell Donna everything yes and she that was somewhat of a moment of invulnerability and a a moment of weakness a moment of of uh, that was kind of like this is where you see Laura is a human is a person and not just a character arc yeah uh she's a very strong character laura mm-hmm. this uh she doesn't take shit from bobby she doesn't really take shit from anybody and you know she usually has her guard up for the most part so this scene where she's just crying i'm kind of glad they cut the doc hayward stuff out because it just kind of gives this more more levity to the or more more meaning to her running to donna and we didn't we didn't need the doc hayward stuff it was nice seeing more in frost but i think that was a little too heavy-handed with the describing the end of the movie to her (laughs) yeah yeah and i think he realized that so yeah so we get kind of get this moment of vulnerability and Oh, then she goes home for dinner. Oh, God, this fucking scene. And, yeah. Uh, and did this... you know that, did you get the vibe that Sarah no- has known this has been going on, that this abuse has been going on? Yes. Hey, like, Grace Abriski plays this as, like, she, Sarah is also a victim of abuse in this household. And that yeah. she knows and she's afraid of Leland. Of Le- I, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That, that, that Leland has been really abusing that house for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she knows what he's been doing to Laura, even if Laura doesn't necessarily know he's been doing it. Because uh, she's just, uh, she she sees him just, Laura comes home late and he just goes, uh, he's just obsessed with her dirty hands. And mm-hmm. it's just so jarring and uncomfortable to watch. And he's just, he's bullying and abusing her and, like, terrifying her. And he's terrifying Sarah. It's uncomfortable, man. And uh, Lynch did a good job of showing just how, even when he's not physically abusing the family, he's still abusing them. Mm-hmm. Like, just, uh, with his, just with his presence, he's abusing them. Yes. Oh yes. So, God, this 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 scene is probably is one of the more uncomfortable ones because it really highlights the abuse, um, and Ray Rise does it so well, and the way that Shirley play like the horror on her face makes it so much more powerful. This scene and Grace Sabinski. The way that she's, I mean, this is like. Uh, she's shaking. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, this is a really fucking powerful scene. So, you know, he's he, her hands are dirty. Then, then, then she know. Then he notices the necklace from from James, and starts asking her if she got it from a lover, which is just creepy. And then there's dirt under her nails, which we know <laughs> is kind of a precursor because Bob is obsessed with putting things under the nail. And Sarah is pleading with her to leave him alone. She, he's pinching her cheeks, and you know she doesn't like that. And um, and then, then you get the switch after the scene's done. And, Laura, and Leland is on the end of his bed, and he's rocking. And then, um, then he comes back. But this is Leland now. Yeah, which leads me to believe I think Leland wasn't completely blind to Bob's terror because he seems to know like what happened was wrong. So he remembers doing this. I think he remembers things like I think he remembers. I don't think he remembers all of it. Like, I don't think he knew he was molesting her or raping her. No, but I think Uh, he he knew that something happened here that he needs to. That he needs to apologize for. Yeah, like, I think he realized he did something wrong. And again, and you, it just shows it on the tone. This just facial. Facial. He realized, all of a sudden, Bob vanishes, and then it's Leland. It's like, oh, my God, what did I do? Right, right. Um, and um, then you kind of get a genuine kind of emo, like, you know, and then <sighs> there's just so much that happens, like, in that in that five, ten minutes that is just so fucking powerful. Um, and after, um, after he leaves, you know, she asks, you know, is you know, she's starting to figure out that her dad is Bob. Like it's starting to click, and but she still just doesn't want to believe it. No, because you don't want to. Nobody would want to believe that. No one she's wants a, to believe that. This whole family, the Palmer household, is just trauma. Like, Sarah doesn't want to believe it, but she knows it. Uh, yeah. So then she remembers the, the painting that she got. And she runs out, grabs it, puts it on her wall, and falls asleep. Or does she? <laughs> or does she? she where, this where, becomes a portal. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. It, it's reminiscent of the of the giant asking. No, the question is, where have you gone? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she enters the painting. Uh, we see this actually brought back in the return when Evil Coop walks up the stairs up to the convenience store, and the the painting, the walls are like the art is like the same. So that that's cool that Munch brought that back for the return. Um, yeah, Mrs. Shelfon's there and waving her. Waving her mm-hmm. through, guides her. Yep. Uh, and... We get back to the red room. Yep. Uh, this is where it gets kind of strange because this is uh, this is Laura's dream. Yep. Uh, but then it goes to the red room, and the, we get a scene where it's uh, a table. Yep. And Cooper walks in and sees the arm. Do you know who I am? I am the arm. I, I, I sound like this. And he does like a weird 
Yep. Yeah. And he sees the ring, and he looks at the camera and says, don't take the ring, Laura. And we discuss the ring, and I... The reason I think Cooper doesn't want her to take the ring because he's he's trapped in this loop of saving Laura Palmer. He doesn't want her to die, but I don't think he realizes if she doesn't die, what the repercussions of that is. Yes, I yes, because and she one has of the, I so Bob can't. Yep, and one of the things that that, that the that the that the that the arm asks is is this past or present? Yeah. Right, or is this past or future? Is this past or is it future? And that's another thing. Like, we don't... Honestly, we don't even know which Cooper this is. Right. <laughs> you and I right. have no idea. This could be future Cooper or past Cooper. We don't have no idea. We have no idea which Cooper it is. Um, now, with, with the missing pieces, this leads me to believe, because it pops in again later. So it leads me to believe this is the first time and then the second time um, is is a future Cooper. Yeah, the second time it's bookended. Again, yep. he's kind of bookended, but I wish he would have kept the second time in with the ring. Me too. Me with the too. ring missing, signifying something amiss has happened now, which we'll find out. Good old Mike just said, fuck it, I'm going to take this ring and I'm going to save Laura Palmer. <laughs> Make sure she doesn't become Bob. He That's Mike's goal is to stop Bob, and unfortunately Laura has to die for Bob to stop. At least for the time being. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then she wakes up and how's Annie? How's oh, Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? Annie's uh, not Annie. doing so well, Paul. Annie's not doing well at all. Annie's not doing well at all. Annie is Annie is broken. We got bro- fucked up. <laughs> Annie is broken. Wyndham Merle did a number on her. She's got a busted face. She's bleeding. Mm-hmm. But she does give a clue. The good Dale is in the lodge and he can't leave. Write it in your diary. And she also says, I've been with Dale and Laura. Yes. Yes. And yes. And when she vanishes, I think this is the first... The, Laura now has the jade ring. Yes, Laura sees the ring on her hand and freaks out. Yeah. And she hears someone crying, so she runs out of the uh, out of the bedroom door and she's, she's in the, the painting. She's in the painting, <laughs> which is a fucking cool scene. Which is a really cool scene. Like Lynch does surrealism so fucking well, man. So good. Um so then, yeah, so then, then then, she finally wakes up, and she sees the ring is gone, and she's like, fuck this painting. Get this, <laughs> well, get Paul, this. what would you do in that situation? Would you keep the painting up? No, I'd burn the fucking thing. I'd burn the fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'd, I'd, I'd probably keep it up so I can keep going in that, in that world. <laughs> but that's me. You know, I'm a weirdo. Right. right. So I, let's I, go I, back to Shelly messing up Leo's house. God. Oh, God. Of all the things we keep in. Okay, now, the missing pieces actually explains Leo's super aggression in that he's hopped up on Benny's. That's why he's always yelling at yes. Shelly about the house being dirty yes. and all that. They kind of alluded it to, and uh, I think it was in the pilot. She's like, you know how you get when you're on Benny's? 
But this is basically saying this is why Leo. One of the factors why Leo's a big asshole. He's on speed all the time. Uh, yeah. And Paul, a good attitude. That is key. (laughs) (laughs) This is key. You will learn how to clean. Um, I'll show you how, damn it. Yep. People, if you've never seen a meth head clean a house, this is it. It's just them on the scrubbing. It's it's not hilarious, the drug addiction, but what the drug addiction brings is really clean houses for some reason. (laughs) And, and and from what I hear, lots and lots of Yahtzee games. So um, they, yeah, it's so. Then Bobby calls, and he wants to get he wants to get more drugs. And Leo's like, "Fuck you, you owe him five thousand dollars." Yep, yep. He's like, "You telling me there's no there's no Santa Claus, Leo?" And then so what what does he do? He calls Jacques, who. Get some humanity in this movie at, at later, um, which was interesting to see. Um, but he calls, said Jockers is his twin brother from The Return. He does say in the pink room, I'm not Jock. He also yeah. says I'm Vince. But again, this, they, they weren't planning on the future Jock being, future Renault being in The Return, so I'm just going to assume it's Jock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. I'm assuming it's Jacques. I, it's it's Jacques. It's Jacques. And then he's like, "You only call me when you're desperate." And, um, makes a 10k deal, and they're gonna meet at the two days midnight at the sound of sawing wood. You fucking crazy Canadian! God damn it! Hey man, uh, Canadians got to do it their way or the highway, buddy. Oh god! Should have met it at Tim Hortons. <sighs> Right, <laughs> haps. Oh God, damn it! So then we back get at the, the Palmer next... house. Yeah, Laura's we get the ready next... for a night of tricks. Mm. Laura's out. Uh... Laura's gonna go prostitute. This is another difficult scene. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh... Donna stops by. The uh, Laura is hookered out because. Her parents are out dancing for the night. Yeah. And Donna's not even... Or Laura, yeah, Laura's not being a good host. She's not even offering Donna a drink, which I thought was pretty rude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and they take off. And again, there's teenagers at this Bang Bang bar. How's that? Oh. It's liquor license. How, how is the Bang Bang bar? And everyone knows everybody in this town. And yet we don't recognize anyone in the bar. Um, but yeah. I mean, this bar eventually got the nine inch nails to play there, so maybe like <laughs> it's bringing enough money into the economy that Truman or yeah, Truman's taking a blind eye to it. Maybe, maybe, yeah, they did get the nine inch nails, and they did get Eddie better. Um, so, uh, but before she goes into the bang bang bar, um, the log lady, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the log lady feels her temperature. What does she say? It's uh, when this kind of fire starts, it's very hard to put out. Mm-hmm. And um, she says one other thing, but basically alluding to that, you know, it's all the evil is, you know, she she's basically letting Laura know she understands what what's happening to her. Yes. And she's probably the only person in town cryptically that can understand. Yeah. And uh, one of the missing 
pieces. I'll, I just want to bring it up now because otherwise I'll probably forget when the scene comes. Is it's heartbreaking because Log Lady cries because she hears Laura screaming. Yes, getting killed by Leland. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I wish that would have stayed in because that was that was a heartbreaking scene. I love the Log Lady. So. I love the Log Lady, and anything with her needs to stay in it. So. So this is where my, my, my confusion came in because the missing pieces makes it, it explains it better. Yeah. Um, because she goes in the you bar. Thought this was a, you thought the pink room was at the, the bang bang bar. Was at the bang bang bar, right? Because it's yeah. not very clear that's at a separate bar. Yeah. That's, the thing is, there's a caveat in that they bring up that it's in Canada through exposition. I just thought that was weirdness, right? Like, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was like, I think people were confused. So that's when they said it was. They had the sign that says this is Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lynch did a pretty bad job of that transition. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's like exposition and like a sign that says this is Canada to drive the point home. Also, this bar with the pink room is where Sarah Palmer kills that trucker. <laughs> yes, it is. Turn. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. So, okay. The so let's talk about this. So Laura goes into the bar. Jacques introduces her two dudes who she's going to fuck. And you can tell she's not in it. She doesn't really want to be doing this, you know, and but she needs she, money for drugs. Yep. She needs the money for drugs. And she's like, you want to fuck the prom queen? And then Donna shows up. And, um, you know, Donna drinks and makes out with the dude and, um, you know, Laura's like, all right, let's let 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 let's do this, and they go into the pink room. Now, the pink room now we know is in a separate bar, and the, yep. the missing the missing pieces shows that they leave the 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 bang bang bar and go to this bar up in Canada. Um, and when they enter the pink room, I knew right away. I was like, that is a David Lynch song. Yeah, I, I knew right away, like that it was not Angelo. That was David Lynch. His um, he has a very distinct music style. He has a very distinct music style, very distinct tone, very distinct, um, um, uh, like I I like I like a lot of David Lynch's music and I stuff. Do. And you know I I loved his tracks on. Um, the um, uh, Dark Knight of the Soul. I've listened to a few other things that he's done with the actress um, that played uh, Tammy Preston. Um, he also has some older stuff too. Right away, like the like 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 the bow and the the, the notes that were being hit, I immediately went, "That is a Lynch written song." Like, and it's so different than everything else in the movie. And I love that song. Like that song is. Just that the scene with that song fits perfectly, in my opinion. The scene, is, yeah. So you got this band like doing the, the Lynch song, and it's cool. And it's like it's basically, uh, it's basically like a just like a fuck room. It's a fuck room. It's basically mm -hmm. a fuck room where people just do whatever. Uh, there's a cool thing that uh, cinematic filmmakers rarely, if ever, do. Lynch does it here. Uh, I'll just kind of bring it up here because I'm just like a film geek. He breaks mm -hmm. Melty's Falcon in that he does a three full 360 degree turn with the camera. Yes. Not done too often with uh, any filmmaker because it's so hard to pull off. 
I just want yes. to bring it just because I'm a film geek like that. And it's a it's no, it's a it's a great shot, and it's it's unsettling. Yeah, and... it's disorientating in a space because Donna gets drugged by. Hey, who would have known like these creepy truckers are going to drug a teenage girl? Right, that are getting a prostitute are going to drug a teenage girl. Who would have known? And then, and then Jacques has a couple good lines here. I'm He's as blank. This, as... I'm as blank as a fart. Yep. <laughs> Which, uh, I'm not Jacques. I'm the great Wentz. Yep, I'm the great Wentz. <laughs> and bite the bullet, baby. Yes. I love these. Just seem like they're throwaway lines, but I just chuckle. Yeah, they're I'm so a, ridiculous. And what I love about this scene is they have they have everyone subtitled. Yeah, because which I in think the, originally they didn't, and people well, complained because they couldn't hear. Right, because in the original, in the theatrical part of it, the sound mixing was so loud that it didn't make it didn't work and then they came out with the with with a with with a dvd version in which the sound mixing was didn't work either it, it was reversed in the opposite way and people didn't like that either so then with the blu-ray they put it back and added the subtitles i thought the i think the dvd had subtitles oh did the dvd have subtitles yeah, i think okay. the vhs didn't Okay, maybe I, remember, I think I remember when I watched this. I could be wrong, people. I haven't watched the VHS version of this since I watched it for the first time when I was 14. So 24 years ago, my brain, my memory is not as great about that one time I watched Firewalk with me. Sure. But I think uh, when I saw it, it was like there was no subtitles and it was very confusing. Because yeah, I know, I, I do know that one of the mixes, they, they, tone, they turned the music way down. And put it the might ball have been in the VHS. It might have been the VHS, and people, it just didn't have the same feel, um, and people complained about it. So then they, then they, 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 they remixed it again, put it back to the way it was, and just added the subtitles, which is, I think, brilliant. Um, that's the way to do it. And we should uh, also mention that this movie was a distribution nightmare for many years because <laughs> uh, uh, this movie. Yeah. Like, for Lynch's film deal, like, this movie was tied in with the pilot. Yep. Which is why the first DVD release did not have the pilot in it, because uh, two different companies, a different company owned the pilot to the TV show, so that's why it was not included on the first DVD set. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of mess with it. There was a lot of mess with it. But we don't uh, need to get too far into that. It's just it no. was, it's the, that's why if you bought the DVD collection in two thousand one, it didn't have the pilot. This movie is tied to that, and uh, that's why they just yep. couldn't get the rights to it because they couldn't. Uh, get the rights. Yeah. So, dude, drugs Donna's beer. Yep. Donna's uh, Laura starts stripping on the dance floor. Yep. Uh, Ronette Polinski shows up. She's uh, there, and she's talking with Laura about how, like, Laura got kicked out of One-Eyed Jacks. Uh, yes. Again, if you did, if you're watching this back in the day, and you did, yeah, that's what they're talking about. Uh huh. They are the party twins to Jacques. Yes. And they uh, they sit in the booth, and they make uh, one of the guys that paid money go down on them. Yep. And while that's happening. We, you know, Ronette points out that, oh, shit, is that Donna Hayward? And Donna's getting her nip sucked on yeah. um, by creepy dude. 
And this is where we get the moment of humanity from Jacques, yeah. uh, where Lore freaks out, and he carries her out. Yep, and says like a father get... figure almost. You know. Yep, yep. You got to get her out of here. Yep, help me get her out of here, Jacques. We got to get her out of here. Yeah. And Jacques does it. Um, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm just saying it gave him a little life, humanity. A little humanity. That's all I'm saying there. I just want to bring up before this, there is a a clue as to Teresa Banks. It's been a year since she died. Yep. Uh, Renette says she was black blackmailing someone. And, yes. Uh, she had asked Jacques what Laura's father looked like. Yep. These, these are important uh, because Teresa Banks was trying to blackmail Leland Palmer. Yeah, and we learned that better in the in the missing pieces than yes. we do in the actual movie. But yes, yeah, missing yes. pieces. Basically, she uh, she calls Jacques at the roadhouse, asks, and then he she calls Leland, forever sealing her fate by pissing yep. off Bob. By pissing off Bob. Yep. So, um, the next morning, Donna doesn't remember anything um, after being roofied. And just remembers that 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 uh, Laura yelled at her for wearing um, her her shirt. And Laura, you know, again we we see a little bit more of Laura, and Laura is going, "I don't want you to be me." Yeah, don't wear my stuff. And it's like in the show, when Donna does wear her stuff, her demeanor changes. But I think that was just Laura Flynn Boyle being Laura Flynn Boyle. <laughs> so then we get Leland shows up. And looking at Laura and Donna, we see a flashback to Ronette and Laura when when uh, Leland was going to have a threesome, or a foursome. Foursome with uh, three, yeah, because the, the missing piece is like, he wanted to set up uh, a party, what, a sexy party, as Stewie from Family Guy would say, mm-hmm. uh, with Ronette, with a... Uh, Teresa and her friends, and when Leland shows up, he sees that it, it, Laura's in there, and he leaves. Yeah, uh, he pays her, says, I chicken out, and leaves. Yeah, but, like, uh, with, during this flashback, did you hear him say, like, what is, like, that looks, she looks like my daughter? Is that why he chose Teresa Banks? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you look like my Laura, he says yeah. to, to, to Teresa, which is exactly why he picked her. And... Um, then we get Mike. The road rage incident. The road rage incident. He, it looks like he gives him, gives Leland the finger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talking about stealing his corn, which we, which we know is the pain and, 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 and suffering. Yeah. Um, and he basically says, um, it's you know he tells he Mike is trying to tell Laura that it's him it's your father he's screaming and it's hard to hear what Mike's saying because mm-hmm. he's revving the engine and it's I also want to bring up before he comes speeding up Laura's like what's that burning smell she smells burning oil yep burning yep. engine oil she smells the scorched engine oil which is Bob yes yep that Bob is full on in this in this scene and um. Yeah, he pulls around, starts telling him uh, uh, the 
the look on her face when uh, it was open, there was a stillness like the Formica tabletop. The thread will be torn. Um, it's your father. He's in your father. Um, and Leland and Laura are screaming and she can't hear what he's saying. And um, so then they pull into the parking and this is where we get the, uh, the flashback. Uh, the flashback. Um, and that's where we, you know, it, 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 again, it makes more sense in the missing pieces, but you can put two and two together that if you're paying attention to the blackmailing, you realize that's what it was. Um, yeah. This is also where Laura starts to realize more that, you know, this, that this is Bob. And she asks him about seeing him the day that she found Bob. And he lies. He lies. And then she said, I could remember seeing you. Um, and uh, she's like, oh, yeah, you know what? I was in the area. I had a headache. I came in and left right away. And this is another thing where it's like, oh, my God, like it's starting to click. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we kind of see more of the flashbacks. And uh, Laura, Laura, I think she remembers seeing uh, Teresa with the ring. Mm -hmm. So she knows there's something with the ring. And then we get Leland killing Teresa. Yes. Yes. And um, that then that night, Bobby and Laura go to take their cocaine. This is gonna be a long episode, by the way, folks. We we got we got more to do here. <laughs> See, this is the night Bobby killed a cop. Yes. Why don't you tell us about the night Bobby killed a cop? Well, they're going to make their their pickup from Jacques Jacques's connection. Uh, they but. It's kind of stupid if you're going to go to this kind of a drug deal for like $10,000. You'd show up hammered, <laughs> but they are. Uh, Laura is sloppy drunk. <laughs> Bobby's, sloppy. Bobby's not too far behind, though. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, our our friendly Doppel Andy from Deer Meadow <laughs> shows up. He's the, the connection. Yep. Yep, it's the same guy. It's the same guy. It's Doppelandy. Yeah. Yep. And, it's, uh, it's, this, it's, this uh, it's Howard. Yeah, so they make the deal or whatever, and then the guy pulls a gun and Bobby shoots him. Now, I'm confused why the guy pulled a gun. Do you think they had the 10K on him? I think he thought they had the money on him. Okay, because they didn't have the money on him. No, Bobby no. Bobby still no. owes Leo five grand. He doesn't have any money. Yep, I think he was going to kill them for the money. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's when Bobby kills a cop. <laughs> Blows Bobby, his head off. He shot the deputy. <laughs> yeah. In the back of the head. Yeah. Yes. And then um, Laura finds it hilarious yeah. and thinks that he killed Mike. Um, and Bobby, you know, Bobby's obviously fucked up. He's like, did I kill Mike? Like, <laughs> and, and I think that just goes to show, like, just how much influence she um, had over Bobby. Just how influential she was. That's the only reason why I can explain why he thought maybe he killed Mike. Yeah. And uh, I did, like, uh, I did write my notes. 
Yeah, throw some dirt on the body there, Bobby. That'll do the trick. <laughs> Did they ever find the body? I don't. It's never brought up. I don't think they ever find the body. It'd be weird that they wouldn't find a dead cop in Twin Peaks. Yes. Uh, uh, I just want to also say that uh, uh, the missing pieces shows that the cop was trying to screw him over anyway because it's baby laxative. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Mike, not only did Bobby kill a cop, he killed a cop over baby laxative. Baby laxative. And I think the reason why they took that out was because later she's doing the cocaine. Yeah. Um, so I think there was like, I, it didn't make sense continuity wise to have it be the, 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 the baby laxative. It just didn't make sense to do it. No. Um, no. so then the next morning, James shows up and is on his motorcycle and he's trying to, you know, he's worried about, um, Laura being on drugs again. And um, she basically tells him to fuck off while Leland's watching menacingly. And that evening. Oh, boy. This is a rough one, too. Yep. There's a lot of rough scenes in this movie. Yep. Um, Leland gives um, gives Sarah some uh, volume. Yep. And she sees the white horse that we saw from the show. She seemed to know the routine too when yes. he's forcing her milk. Uh, yeah. And she, I mean, people know when they're drugged. Yep. It just seemed to be like their routine. So she doesn't have to know what's be going conscious on. Be what's going on. Mm-hmm. It gives her some plausible deniability. And um, um, Leland turn, turns on the fan, which is a clue to Laura that Bob is coming. And uh, so she starts to pull down the, uh, the, 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 the bedding and gets prepared to, for Bob to rape her. And while it's happening, um, she keeps asking who it is, who it is, who he is. And finally we see uh, she sees it's Leland. Yes. And she screams and freaks out. And this is the end. This is when Laura knew she was going to die. Yeah. That is when Laura made her decision. Yeah, her world is destroyed. Mm-hmm. What little left of her innocence now is destroyed. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. This is a, yeah, it's, this is a rough movie, man. It's a, like, I could imagine, like, a sexual assault survivor watching this. No, because, for as the supernatural elements of it and things like this there is so much here that I feel like just is raw um like the 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 the, the willful ignorance yeah. of, of 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 you know uh, of a figure in this case it's the mother um you know the 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 deniability, um, the 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 craziness of trying to convince yourself that it isn't happening. You know, I mean, all throughout the movie, she knows it's her dad, but she doesn't until she can finally let herself see that it is. And yeah, I mean, this is yeah, this is rough. So the next morning, you know, Leland tries to talk to her and she's like 
don't fucking touch me. Yeah. And see the look on Leland's face that Bob now knows mm-hmm. that she saw Leland. Uh, this yep. is again, it's it's rough. She is traumatized and traumatized. I mean, this movie, yeah, like you said, supernatural elements. Lynch made a movie about a woman's trauma at of being abused. Y- yes, by, mostly by her father, but also by the people around her. Again. I'm glad they cut the Jacoby scene because it heavily implies that he was also abusing her. Yes, it heavily implied that he was uh, abusing her, or at least using her to get himself off. Yeah, he was forcing her to do those these tapes. Tapes we these... saw from the show. Yes, he... yeah, and we and they implied that the tapes had a darker connotation to him than just him trying to be a good psychiatrist or. He, he was like... in the middle of the night asking for tapes. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, this is again. This movie is the last days of Laura Palmer, and it's kudos to Lynch, man. He made a movie that showed that this is what abuse is. Yeah, he really did. It's not he, romanticized. It's not like no. Well, Leland, you know, he's a you know the show kind of did that at like the last episode we watched. There's not a there's no redemption for Leland in this, and that's good. He's yeah, but you see like the likable things about him. Which mm-hmm. makes it so uncomfortably real. Yes. Yes. And it's hide in plain sight. So um, then that, you know, it kind of goes through this whole day. She's in a daze. Like she is, she has made her decision. So panic attack, go- how he filmed that too. Her whole day. Yeah. Her whole day was a panic attack. And she goes to meet Bobby and he finally realizes that she's only using him for the, for the cocaine. So he gives him his stash and is, you know, is yeah. like, whatever, get, go. She goes home. Um, as well as up in the missing pieces here, um, Major Briggs is reading from the Book of Revelations. Yes. And Laura shows up, which is, you know, the white horse and all that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but again, have... missing pieces, uh, whatever. And then she goes home and sees that paint that the angel left her painting. Yeah, um, like that was kind of her solace too. Like she'd look at this painting, and she at least like seemed like she took comfort in that. And mm-hmm. now the thing that she's comfortable about that brings her comfort is gone. Like yeah. her hope is gone. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh she's, yeah. She's gone. And, um, so, you know, she's getting ready to meet, um, because they, they were going to meet on Thursday. We found out from the pink room. So then James calls and she's frustrated and, but she wants to meet up with James. And so. Come pick me up in 15 minutes. I did like, she fumbles with the phone. phone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's all coked up and just, you know, it's still this aloof child. She's an aloof child. She, she, uh, her, her moods change. A lot, I think, that's also from the abuse where mm-hmm. Laura Palmer psychologically and physically damaged. He's damaged. He is damaged. And yeah. so he picks her up and they go for a ride. And well, Leland... I want to say, he picks her up and then Leland looks out the window. like, And the look on his face is like how I see people wear, not wearing masks at Target. Oh, God, yeah. Just pure blind rage. Oh, it is it is great. I mean, there's no there's no misconstruing what, what is on his mind. And 
you know, they go for it, which I also thought was stupid because he calls her and then she's going to sneak out and he shows up on a, uh, motorcycle. <laughs> on a motorcycle. And in the, in the, in the missing pieces, Leland came home. Um, if you remember, Leland came home after she snuck out and was like staring at her. Like he knows she's there. And, uh, I thought that was pretty creepy, but I see why they left it out as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, James shows up on an inconspicuous motorcycle and blur, like right in front of her house, and then takes like. Let's dude, sneak out dude. with my muffler blasting the neighborhood. Right. So then they go into the woods, and this, this is, is where what he, James describes in in the pilot. Yeah. Burr and Harry. And Sherilyn's perform, Sherilyn's performance in this is phenomenal. Because yeah. she bounces in emotions very, very quickly. She wants yeah. to push him away, but part of her act, she loves James. Like, and you do see that. I think she's she... in love with James, but I think she cares about him. Mm. I think... Part of her cares about James. I, I Just... think she does love him. I think if, if things had been normal for Laura, I think she would have like... lo- yeah. loved James. Like, like, this is what happens with... This is why, you know why I get so frustrated with what they did with in the show to James and Donna, because I think this would be more impactful had the second season gone right, because I think James was supposed to be somewhat of this light to, to Laura. And when she pushes him away in this scene, this is when she says your Laura is gone yeah. It's it's supposed to be her saying goodbye to everything that she loves. Yeah, because she she her life yeah. The revelation of Leland being her abuser it, it just destroyed her soul. It destroyed her. It destroyed her. I mean, and I don't blame her. Uh obviously I don't blame her. That that realization would kill people. It just I yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's saying goodbye to James mm-hmm. uh, and she sees something in the woods and she screams. Now, Paul, we both know this is Cooper pulling his back to the future stunt. <laughs> Cooper's pulling think... Marty McFly right now. Is that, is that what you think it is? You think she sees No, Cooper? I don't think right now because in, in the return, it's obviously Cooper because we see him there trying to save her. Yep, I think she sensed the darkness in the woods is what scared her, but it was the, still the same result I, being spooked. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting though. I mean, it could be the Marty McFly thing. I mean, how how brilliant would that be? It could definitely be the Marty McFly thing, but yeah, I think it was um or like Cooper was in this rea- timeline. Yeah, people, there's multiple timelines. There's multiple this timelines. Time. Cooper just couldn't get to her. Yep, that very well could be that that Cooper couldn't get there in this timeline. So I um, think I think that ultimately that was Cooper in the woods. I think so as well. I do. I knowing after after watching the return and knowing what we know about how the timeline works, I do think that was Cooper. Um, when this movie was made, I don't think they knew what. That was. I don't think they knew what it was either. I but think now we have the we have canon now. So yeah, that, that was Cooper. That, that was, was Cooper pulling his Marty McFly stunt. Mm-hmm. And she runs off screaming that she loves James, and runs away. And in the uh. Uh, the the it, it's very it's very interesting in 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 the missing it without the missing pieces it looks like that it was all planned for her to get to Jacques and 
Leo because they're just on the other side of the woods. In the missing pieces, she gets picked up by a trucker. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Does some coke. Does more coke. Does she more does a coke. Lot of coke. Uh, how she's not shitting herself all the time from the baby laxative it's cut with, I have no idea. Maybe that's how she stays so thin. It's a lot of coke she was fucking doing, man. That was that's a lot of blow. That was a lot of blow. That's a lot of poop. That that was uh that was some fucking Belushi level shit she was doing there. Yeah. Um so then, you know, she arrives and they have the orgy that we know about. Jack's uh, cabin looks different here too. This yeah. is like one of the retcons. Uh we haven't really gotten into the retcons here, but this is the one that's one of the glaring ones. And he has this crappy little cabin now. Where before it was kind of a bigger place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of retconning here from what what was described. We talked about this, um, but you know we said we're going to get into it more in this particular episode. Um, So the way that Laura was described to have been killed, the events that occurred at the cabin, there is no bloody shirt. Um, Jock wasn't stabbed, um, but by Leo, um, the way that Laura is killed isn't the shallow cuts. Um, no, she's bludgeoned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot that is changed here. Um, so they get to, but you know what didn't change? Waldo. 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 Waldo's there. Waldo's there. They kept Waldo. They kept Waldo. Um, and it's it's a full moon night too. Like Lynch keeps cutting back to the full moon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so so what we find Jock out, does, Jock does tie up Laura though. Jock tied up Laura, and Leo was and then, and then Leo was going to do his number on her, um, but Jock goes outside to piss, and Leland attacks him. Did is, did Leland stab him? Because he just kind of went to it into his gut, and he kind of fell over. So that's maybe he was stabbed, but was Leland who stabbed him? Well, it still doesn't explain where the bloody shirt came from. No, they don't explain the bloody shirt. They don't. They don't explain the bloody shirt at all. No, I don't think he did. I think he because he sucker punched him, knocked the wind out of him. I think he sucker punched him. Yeah, because he's. I really do. Jock's a big guy. It would take more than I think Ray Wise to knock that guy down. But yeah, I think he sucker punched him, and then if I remember correctly, he hit him over the head with something. Yeah, after he knocked him down, he he bludgeoned him because when Leo comes out, his face is jacked up. Yep, and so then Leo, Leo just runs. <laughs> yeah, Leo just runs, and you know she's like untimey. He's like, "Shut up, bitch!" and runs, and then Leland comes in, and this is where the interpretation of it throws me off because in the show, Ronette never saw Leland. No, she only saw Bob. So this is where I get kind of confused in the editing of this one. I is, am, unless unless all Ronette saw was Bob and we just didn't see her point of view, but that would just be weird. It's great. <laughs> well, no, you know what? I'll buy that. I'll, I'm going to go with that because this whole movie yeah. is is from the perception of Laura. Yeah, because uh, because uh, in the we've discussed with Maddie, she mm-hmm. saw. 
She yes. didn't see Leland. She didn't see Leland. She saw Bob. So maybe Ron, yeah, Renette probably just saw Bob here. And what and what Laura's seeing is what and what we're seeing is what Laura was seeing. Yeah. And which and is because, frightening of Leland, Bob. Well, no, we did agree that Maddie was seeing Leland and Bob. Bob, yes. That made it more terrifying. Yep. And, yep. The, but I think yeah. Yeah. I think Ronette only saw Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Because and I and so they take him to the terrifying. This is just terrifying. This scene too is the switch between Bob and Leland is just as terrifying as the the, the reveal. It's mm-hmm. it's just spooky nightmare fuel. Uh, we got Mike running. Yes. So this is retcon. Um and we got Mike's running in and Mike through the Mike uh, uh, somehow, some way, the angel from the painting shows up and, and undoes, Ron. saves Ronette. But Leela still bashes her in the face and kicks her on the train car. Jesus Christ! And he's oh to the God. point to the point where he thinks he's dead. Um, and I like how both Bob and uh, Mike just walk over her. Yeah, <laughs> you that's the, that? she's of no consequence of anything. She's just she's just fodder. Um, and but you know he's he's able to throw the ring in now while this is happening Bob is you know saying he's going to be in her and he sets up the mirror and she can start to kind of see her face become Bob so obviously there's some kind of ritual that's going to happen yeah Um, which I imagine was what happened to Leland as a child I'm going to assume that's exactly what happened but then um Laura breaks free of her binds and puts on the ring. And that's when Bob screams, don't make me do this. Yes. uh, Now Laura's broken the cycle of abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of biblical. She sacrifices herself to end that. And that, you know, you know, whatever, whatever your preferred religions are, non-religions. It's very, Jesus-y that she sacrifices herself to end end this. Yes. Um, yes. It's a very stylized, dramatical, metaphorical way of ending the cycle of abuse. Yeah. Plus, it, there's a lot of, for Lynch and Twin Peaks, there's a lot of Christian uh, symbolism going yeah. on here, which is kind of different, but yes. I welcome it because that's what, that's what uh, I take is that's where Laura took her solace in. Was mm-hmm. the images of the angels or whatnot? So, but yeah, she sacrifices herself, and Bob Leland bludgeons her because mm-hmm. he can't be with her. If he can't be her, then she's got to die. Now, what I don't like is that Mike kind of just goes away after this happened. When. We know from the show his whole thing was finding Bob and getting rid of Bob, so that seemed odd to me. Yeah, he knows who Bob is. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, retcons a lot of that second season, which I'm sure Lynch didn't give two shits about. I, I would completely agree with you. Um, and then, you know, uh, Leland wraps her in the plastic, drips the, the corpse away. Which is also creepy as he's wrapping the plastic. He's still alternating between Bob and Leland. Yes. Very creepy, but very effective shot. Yep. And they want 
it shows to then it cuts to the to the black lodge yeah Glastonbury grove yep and goes there leland and bob go there and mike and the armor waiting yep and they want their garmin boza and you know leland's kind of of creamed corn but (laughs) yeah for whatever reason it takes the it takes the 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 thicker cream corn and um basically it's it's laura's blood yeah is is what it is um it's you know because he takes the blood from the shirt and throws it on the floor and then it gets absorbed by the lodge and leland's floating like uh, he's floating in the reverse of the fireman in part. Yes. Eight. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's in the reverse of what it, how the fireman floats. Yeah, I did notice that. So it goes to show to me that it's kind of the inverse, right? Because the firemen yep. to me are White Lodge. Yep. And yep. Yep. And then it cuts to the um, basically it's the pilot. Yep. She, she's dead. Wrapped in plastic. plastic. Poor Pete just wanted to go fishing. So then it ends with Laura uh, back in the lodge with Cooper. And I, yeah, I love this ending. Uh, it's rare, I think. Well, not really rare because Lynch does have. Uh, it reminded me kind of a lot of a uh, Wild at Hearts ending, except he did that out of more of a cynical way. Yes, uh, it's very similar in that. An entity comes and saves uh, our heroes. Wild at heart, it's Glenda the Good Witch, ironically played by Cheryl Lee. Right. <laughs> uh, here, it's an angel, and it's Laura finally getting her peace. What did I write it down? Peace and happiness, which is the exact opposite of pain and suffering. Yes. And I do believe that what's happening here is that she's being released from the lodge. I think she's, yeah, she's, she's not only being released from the lodge, she's fine. She's being finally finding her inner peace. And yes. Her heaven, her nirvana, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. She's finally, finally getting it. And my theory is this is the very end of Twin Peaks. This is after the return. Yes. And this is, Ultimately culminating in Cooper finally helping her find her peace. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I do tear up a little bit seeing that just because of the torture porn where we go through. Because, I mean, it's so unsettling what happens to Laura in this movie. It's it really like this movie. You watch it and you go back and watch the first two seasons of Twin Peaks it gives it a, such a nastier edge to it. Oh God, yes. Oh, absolutely, it does. It yes. But that look of pure euphoria on her face, and she's crying. She's finally happy. Mm-hmm. Cooper's there. He, you know, he j- kind of gestures towards, you know, like this is it. We yep. finally did it. It's beautiful. It's I love it, man. Yeah, I do think that that is the real ending of it is that right there. And um, I do think if we get a fourth season, you know, we'll find the timelines will lead back to that, that ultimately that the only way she could be happy is through death because of everything that she um, uh, suffered. Yeah. And then in this timeline or whatever, Mm -hmm. walk walk with me, she sacrificed herself. Yeah. So 
she ended the cycle of violence. The, the cycle. Leland can't hurt her anymore, and Bob cannot go through her and hurt other people. It's done. It's done. Yeah. So that's Firewalk with me. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> we ran long, people, but it's. Uh, this is probably the most. This is the one I was more ex- most excited to talk to you about, Paul. We've never talked about this. No, we haven't talked about the movie. Uh, we, we briefly talked, you know, before the podcast, we briefly talked about the first two seasons. You and I connected over the return. Yes. So, but yeah, this was my, ex- and I was so excited for you to get the, the missing pieces. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it adds so much to it. And I I go, <laughs> Okay, we'll go through this. And I just want to just briefly go through some of the stuff from missing pieces we just went off, didn't get to, but it doesn't need to be in depth, but there's some things I want to. Of course, of course, go. No, but yeah, let's just, uh, okay, so everybody, so one of the things I want to bring up from Missing Pieces, uh, what I love is Cooper talks to Diane while doing yes. all exercises, so the this deleted scene should have put, you know, ultimately there is a Diane. He there is a Diane, yep, yep, it, there is, Diane was a person, Diane was always a person, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, the moments of levity I liked. Uh, Sarah bringing home the groceries and yes. uh, Laura needing to take the car. Like the, I wish there was a little bit of this. I understand why. It's cut for time. Yes. And I, I think it's more impactful, like, seeing the whole, the hell that poor Laura goes through. But it's nice seeing these moments of levity I like. I like. And <laughs> I would like to see someone, if not Lynch, a fan put together oh it's out there oh is there okay there is like you can find it on i'll call it nefarious torrent sites but you can get there's people who made a a, a edit a fan fan edit yeah about four four and a half hours long that's That's okay yeah if if i would i would strongly encourage if you if you haven't seen it and you're getting in the twin peaks or you know, uh, you, you've done it. I, I'm going to go out and try and find it, honestly. Um, even owning it, um, owning everything. I want to see it cut in that way. Yeah. Lynch because... will never do it because he doesn't believe in director's cuts. Right, right. Lynch will never do it. And I don't, you know, if someone does it, you know, for for not for not money purposes, but for artistic purposes, I don't see the problem with it because I really think that that's the definitive way of watching it. Yes. Uh, the next, the other there's like a, maybe two more here I want to bring up. Uh, uh, the Leland uh, wants to get them prepared for the Norwegians coming, and he teaches them how to say I, hello. I wish they would have left that in. I that was like wish uh, they would have left that in. Like that that's such so a good amazing. scene. Uh, it, it, I think it would have at least lightened. Maybe, you know, obviously, I think what Lynch was going for is like we don't need. I'm not bringing in the light, lighthearted whatever. This is. This is Laura's life. Uh, you, you can just put that in. Uh, yeah. yeah two, I, I, there's two more things I want to bring. The sawmill, we get Pete. Oh, God, yes, yes. And the banker, the old man at the bank, mm-hmm. who's upset that the two-by-four he ordered is not exactly two-by-four. Four. Yes, and Pete's trying to explain to him what a two-by-four is. Yes. So brilliant. Uh, so that's, brilliant. That was the only of the original cast. I was that scene. Like, I'm not gonna bring up the Truman, Hawk, Andy stuff because I don't. That just really added nothing to it. 
the last, and this is, I think, is important for the, well, we talked about the bookend with the ring and the, the lodge, but uh, what the one thing I wish they would have kept in is uh, Annie outside. She gets taken out. The last two missing pieces are the after uh, what we see in the finale. Yes. Uh, Annie's brought to the ER. Uh, she's in a state. She's catatonic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she recites what she says to Laura in her Laura's dream. And this is weeks after Laura's dead. Yep. The nurse sees it. I like that. And then the nurse takes the owl cave ring. Then, yep. And I, and I think this is important because then it lets us know that's out there. It's basically sequel bait. Yes. Yes. Um, key. Uh, two things. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about three of the things that you brought up. Uh, first of all, I do. I, I, I really, 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 really disagree with the fact that they took out the the Norwegian uh, scene because it did show you some semblance of, and I, and I do get why they did it, but at the same time, I feel like it makes more of the, of the, of the show element of Leland and the difference between Leland and Bob a little bit more apparent because that's probably the only scene that you see that's actual where the Palmer house is a family um, and where Bob's influence isn't marring everything in the household. Um, the, the, the Pete scene, God, I wish they would have put, put that in somewhere because it was just so needed. Like that, that break would have been yeah. that palate Again, cleansing. Some levity would have helped yeah. me with it. I'd probably enjoy it a little bit more when I first saw it. I understand mm-hmm. why, but that Pete scene, like, <laughs> like yes. it's straight out of the show, man. It's like, straight out of the show. And then, yes, the sequel bait, essentially, where we see that Annie's reciting what she says to um, uh, Laura. what she says to Laura, which goes to show that physically Annie left the lodge, but mentally never did. And uh, final dossier hits that home and he's never the same like, it, it, i forget what she says like the same day every year she says like certain lines mm-hmm. uh and he's not here or whatever maybe it's even what she says to laura i, don't I think it is i think it's the same thing i think it's the same thing over and over is all that she's ever said yeah. um and he's completely just yeah. i mean she's she's, I think in she's between... like, yeah she's in between the two worlds like uh jeffries and uh desmond desmond so mm-hmm. and then we see the ring being taken and that goes back to the the the, the ring is out there and that and that that influence is 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 continuing um um one second here. I just wanted to pull up something um, from from this here. So, because the ring went with the return, especially the ring is huge. Um, and the fact that it didn't stay with Annie and that it came out there is giant sequel bait, and that really would have been good to have seen. Um, prior to the return. Yes. Um, I, I, I do feel like, 
like, yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, I made the decision to go out and buy the, the, the missing pieces DVD because Jesus Christ, there is so much missing there. Yeah. It really kind of flushes out the return a lot. A lot. The scene with the ring is where, uh, I think that that part is key. Though in the scene after this really is, and it's just the season two finale, just a little bit of extra things added to it. But it's just you know, doppelkoops like I haven't brushed my teeth yet. It, it whatever. It's, yeah. It it doesn't add a whole lot to the finale. No, no, it doesn't add a whole lot to the finale, but but the ring does. But the ring does. Annie in the ring is huge. Huge. Um, as you'll, as we'll, we'll find out when we talk about the, the, the return all in all, um, this movie. Okay. So the movie was nominated, um, for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine awards. It won three. It run the best soundtrack, best original score and best female music. Um, the Brit Award, um, the uh, Independent Spirit Award, and a Saturn Award. Um, it was nominated um, for the Palm at the Cannes uh, for the Palm d'Or, um, which is the highest honor you can get at Cannes. Um, it was nominated for it. Cheryl Lee was nominated with the Independent Spirit Award for Best Female Lead, as well as the Saturn Award for Best Actress. Ray Wise was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, and it was also nominated for the Best Horror Film. The fact that it did not receive well, I think, uh, hurt it. Um, I mean, the initial reviews of this film, it was a $10 million budget. Box office only recouped $4.2 million dollars. It was just too soon. People really didn't want it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, as you said, uh, um, <laughs> uh, what uh, what Tarantino famously said uh, was um, David Lynch has disappeared so far up his own ass. I have no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. And, you know, I loved him. I loved him. That was the direct quote. Um, I love this movie. I do too. I absolutely love this movie. I, I, I think, again, it needed supplemental material. I'm normally against that. But in this, it could have used another book. And I think Lynch, this is one of, cause this is one of the few times, Lynch curated the missing pieces. To feel like another hour and a half movie. Mm-hmm. He did it personally. I think he knows. Like I, he won't do a director's cut because his final cuts are his final cuts. Yeah, this is one of the rare times he went out and added supplemental to add to the story. He does not do that too often. No, if, he doesn't. If ever beyond this, he has deleted scenes on his uh, whatever his releases, but they, he normally doesn't curate them personally. It's just there. Uh, here he did. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, after people, you know, over the years now, later um, they've been more um, positive. Uh, critic Mark uh, Cremody uh, said in 2017 
that many have come to consider the film a masterpiece. In 2002, in a 2002 review for Slant Magazine, Ed Gonzalez gave it a four out of four stars. Um, the following year, um, the Slant Magazine included it on its list of 100 uh, essential films. Um, and uh, on a podcast called The Cinephiliacs, uh, 2015 filmmaker James Gray called it, quote, an incredible film, a masterpiece, and a classic example of how the critics get it wrong. And he further went on to say, I've never seen a movie that has been made in the last 30 years in America, which so asks us to understand and be in the shoes of a person suffering so profoundly. It is a thing of beauty. And I think that's what was really missed. I think that at the time, Twin Peaks had become somewhat toxic. Um, because of the backlash of what season two was, um, you know, and I do think that part of it is what we talked about here. I mean, you gotta remember this is 1992. Nearly a, a year after the show ended. The, merely a show, merely a year after the show, uh, ended. and, and, um, you know, people have gone on to say, um, uh, um, that, uh, Chris, um, Rodley. Uh, said that um, um, that by the time Lynch unveiled Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me in 1982, critical reaction had become hostile. Um, undoubtedly, it's one of Lynch's cruelest, bleakest neighborhood visions, and even managed to displease diehard fans of the series. Um, and extolling the very heart of the television series, Lynch was forced to accept that he was unlikely to return to the town of Twin Peaks again. Um, I, I do think it was just so black, Joe. Um, I mean, it is unrelenting. I mean, it is essentially torture porn. We are watching, you know, outside of the first 30 minutes of the movie, the way that it's edited and put together, we are watching nothing but the emotional, sexual, and physical torture of a 16-year-old. Yeah, it's it's dark. It's... <laughs> but, again, it's... a. It... I like it again. I like it more now than I mm-hmm. did. Saw it. Uh, having a little more understanding of the supernatural stuff helps, but it's also just it's such a gutsy move. Yes. To put a like one of the reviewers said, we're put in the shoes of a character who's just relentlessly, and like you mentioned, just assaulted. Yeah. And traumatized. Yep. Hurt. Yeah. And um. Uh. So, according to cinematographer, well, here's some here's some interesting um, trivia. According to cinematographer Ron Garcia, the film was popular in Japan, um, in particular with women, as Martha uh, Noam Chomson wrote in her book on Lich's work. He surmises that the um, enthusiasm of the Japanese woman comes from a gratification of seeing Laura in some acknowledgement of their suffering in a repressed society. Released under the title Twin Peaks: The Last Seven Days of of um, of sorts of Laura Palmer, the film was greeted um, with long lines of moviegoers at theaters. Um, in retrospect, Lynch has said that um, I feel bad that Firewalk and Lee did no business and that a lot of people hate the film, but I really like the film, but it had a lot of baggage with it. Um, it's as free and as experimental as I could be um, with the with the um, dedicates that I had to follow. Um, I, you know, originally um, Lynch reportedly planned two more films that would have continued and then concluded the series narrative. 
But in 2001 interview, he said that the Twin Peaks franchise was dead as a doornail. So he did all want to come back and do this, and instead he did the return. But there was supposed to be, had it been um, not as hated, that we would have seen two more Twin Peaks movies. Uh, I wonder what those would have been like. I, I this think that it sums up Laura's story. Imagine the other one would probably be Cooper. Yeah. Basically what we got in the return. Basically what we got in the return. Um, I think we would have gotten that. And I would then. I bet the other film would have been Mulholland Drive, which was originally supposed to be Audrey Horn. Um, I wonder if it would have been the other way around then. I wonder if it would have been this one, then Mulholland Drive, and, and then, then the return. And then the return. Probably. Yeah, Probably. I, I could see that. But we don't know. No. We're just spitballing, but I know yeah. Mulholland Drive was originally Audrey Horn goes to Hollywood. Yes, it was. It was will be uh, it will be an Audrey Horn thing and then, you know, Lynch had that falling out with Sherilyn Flynn and everybody and I I, I will say Bowie phenomenal in this movie yes uh bowie <laughs> as, as philip jeffries david bowie did a tremendous job um i actually enjoyed chris isaac i didn't think he was bad in it moira kelly i wish she would have been um donna the whole donna. time the original yeah. donna um i'm trying to think of who else um, any you know Kiefer sutherland um I, it's such a throwaway you could tell that he was doing it as a fan you know that he was a fan of Lynch and was just uh, and and of Twin Peaks and wanted to be in it. Yeah, uh, I I really believe that. Um, you know Frank Silva. It was his first and only movie. He went to the he went to the premiere with his mom. Yeah, I wonder what she thought. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Such a nice guy. Oh wow. But when you think about it, you know, I, I imagine you know you had. Um, I'm just going to try and go through some of these people here. Um, you know, you had Charlotte Stewart, Betty Briggs. You had Garland Briggs. You had, you know, Jacoby, uh, uh, Hawk, Andy, Lucy, jo uh, Josie, Pete, Nadine, Ed, um, uh, you know, the Haywards, um, and Harry Truman. And all their scenes were cut. Yeah, they were not happy about that. But they were not happy about that at and, uh, all. Like some of them were upset with the tone of the movie, which, mm. I mean, I can get. This movie's not for everybody. No. That's And that's that's Lynch's work. It, it, some things are people like, some things people don't. This movie is one of those extreme ones where it, it, the subject matter is so dark. Yes. Now, that said, I will say that... Um, um, it is essential if you're watching the show and you're getting into everything, you have to watch it. Um, because especially when it, you get to season three, especially when you get to season three. And again, um, I will say that, you know, um, Angelo did all the music except for the pink room, um, which again was so Lynch. It's, I mean, if you ever wanted to know what Lynch's music was, just listen to that four minute song. And that is, all lynch um what else do you have do you have anything else to add to this i mean we've gone on for about three hours joe no i am i am exhausted <laughs> I, I love this movie i'm just i could talk for another three hours about this movie but i don't think i want to put 
our listeners through that. This one's going to be rough. Yeah, this is going to be probably the longest podcast I've ever done, but I, 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 I'm I, with you as well. I could talk about this movie for about another three hours um, because, you know, we glossed over kind of just the synopsis of it. We didn't get into um, a lot of the framing and, and, and the filming and the shooting. Um, you know, uh, again, one of the things that I felt was really good in the return, I will say, is there are certain things in, in that have those that, that Lynch does so well is those off beats where he'll hold a scene just a little too long to the point where that in itself makes you uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. And it is a subtle, brilliant thing as a director to do. Um, I do, do I have some nitpicks on it? Yeah, I do. Does it retcon some of the series? Yes, it does. Retcons uh, quite a bit of the series. <laughs> it retcons quite a bit of the series, but so does the return. Yeah, the return has the, the fallout of the timelines where this didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we can go on to that in another podcast. I think we yes, I think we need to cut this. Do you have any uh, anything you want to plug here, Paul? Uh, let me think. Well, I you know there's there's a lot of uh, the, the world's burning, so I didn't really do a lot of uh, uh, advertising for our last two uh, you know for the last episode of of, of our podcast and for the um, um, the cast that movie, but um, we will be filming uh, the next cast that movie um, or doing the podcast for it, and that's gonna be um, Street Fighter the movie. Uh, and um, the life of Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, I think we talked about that last time. Uh, other than that, what about you? What do you got? The what do you have going on at the showdown? Uh, Brown hasn't announced the next movie yet, so <laughs> I have nothing. I have no idea what I'm stepping into. Uh oh. So, uh oh. We were wrapped up. Uh, uh, Fast and Furious month. Uh, it's been a very confusing month with the Twin Peaks. <laughs> Fast and Furious franchise and the world burning, and it's just it makes sense. It makes sense to me, though. Damn it! <laughs> Oddly enough, it makes sense to me. Um, it's real to me. Damn it! <laughs> so I, I so next episode we dig into the doldrums, the doldrums, the doldrums, the doldrums. of season two. Oh God, how many episodes are we doing? I think it's like seven each. Fuck. All right. Six, five or six. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to suck so hard. We'll find other people. We'll find other twin. We'll go through the synopsis of those and then we'll, we'll find some other things to entertain you. Cause we will go through different peaks topics or whatever that we can rant about. So yeah. it's not going <laughs> to be all just Dick Tremaine <laughs> bitching. Dick or Tremaine. Games. Or Nate, or Nate Dean cheerleading. Uh, ben Horn go, becomes a Civil War general. John Justice Wheeler shows up to save the day. The Pine Weasel. Oh, God, the Pine Weasel. The Miss Twin Peaks pageant. Oh, God. <laughs> this is... And a giant, <laughs> giant puzzle piece. Oh, let's wind this down paul uh uh, until next time paul yes is it future or is it past